Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport. It's just after 8 o'clock in the evening in the UK. It's just after 3 o'clock in the afternoon where I am, which is in the beautiful Berkshire Hills um, or Berkshire as they say around here because I'm at Lime Rock Park for the IMSA event this weekend, the North East Grand Prix. Just under 1.5 miles of track snaking around our IMSA broadcast booth and that's where I'm talking to you from this afternoon with weather on the way. It's been a beautiful day so far but it looks like thunderstorms sweeping in meantime up in london i'll say good evening as it is evening to tim gray hello tim hello john good evening and uh, good to, to hear prove, your voice again yeah just to prove we're live uh it's currently uh two three uh with uh, two, three. 70, 73 minutes played is that a football match That's or a, a football s- match, netball yes. game football right yeah. okay fine yeah, uh, okay. Uh, Cigarettes versus Ferenc Vos in the Champions League. Right, okay. Uh, Champions League already? Oh, my goodness. Well, we're uh, well into uh, the Champions League. It started three weeks ago. On a packed programme tonight, we have what? Uh, we have all the usual features. Uh, we'll be joined by Nick and by Shay. We'll be doing some news. Uh, we'll be doing some news related to a particular company. Uh, business news, yes. Business news. Uh, we'll be looking ahead to this weekend's races in uh, Spain, Catalonia, and at Lime Rock Park. Okay. Uh, we will be talking looking about some Looking back bikes. at some races, maybe? We yes. will okay. look back at some things that happened last weekend, yeah. Let's do a little bit of we parish notices and... We might talk about VLN. Yeah, we'll know about uh, Johnny that. Johnny and I called you commentated on it, so I, I did. Quite enjoyed it actually. Uh, a short, a short race uh, that one. Uh, Kevin Payne, evening is clear. He says for the two hours of midweek motorsport, plenty of topics for you guys to talk to this week. You're not wrong there, Kevin. Uh, hello to Chris Ring and to Chris Smith and to Ian McCarthy. Uh, right to and lover says simply standing by. Well, you can sit down now if you want. Oliver Gillet. Oliver Giles says, very much looking forward to tonight's midweek motorsport, uh, following a busy and entertaining weekend of motorsport. Um, hello to Jeff Easterling, says, uh, looking forward to the weekend as well. No AFAs, no apologies fastened from Brody tonight. One adult beverage, one internet connected audio device and one outside, ready to go. Alexander Orkin, minor delay, says, to the start of the show for me, due to, and I quote, to Dagd's rugby taxi duties. Be there in a few moments. Uh, Chris Suku says, Evening all, no AFAs tonight. Uh, they're trying to do some work while listening, something that I'm not very good at. Right, okay. Um, 
Chris Ring just adding, imagine a quiet show tonight. It's not much happened at the weekend. Yeah, right. Unlike washing up, don't get caught driving around, twinking them slowly for two hours while listening to Midweek Motorsport. People might get the wrong idea. Says Chris. Jack Gabriel, hoping to listening live. He says, I'm off to Brands this weekend to see my friends James Mack race in the Mini Challenge. Uh, Carol tuned in on what is, looks to be a beautiful sunny afternoon uh, overlooking Monterey Bay. Listening to the first time live, driving home from Scranton, PA to New York for work. Sorry, to York, PA for work. Uh, even seeing the Team RLL Racing Transporters heading for Lime Rock and a couple of NASCAR teams heading for New Hampshire on Route 81. James Betha, I think that is. Hello, James. Uh, good to hear that you tuned in. Let us know how far along your route uh, 81 drive you've got. Uh, Kevin Glass listening live tonight. Uh, Kevin Payne, the real sim Glakey, and Phil, not AFA, just got in. Is two points really enough though? Mm. Uh, and Money Elysium is tuned in from the cube. Let's get to our top story. Shuffle your papers, Tim, and play that jingle. Oh, hang on. Oh, brilliantly stopped. Brilliantly stopped. It's at Specutainment if you want to get in touch and play on. Have I ruined it now? I think you, I have. You haven't ruined it. What has happened was, uh, um, as that happened, uh, and I stopped that bit of music and nearly yes. started the news jingle music, uh, right. Windows needs to restart. All right, okay. Well, I can do a couple more bits and Don't pieces. Worry. No, uh, Windows is not restarting. I've uh, stopped it from doing that. Uh, so I'm going to play the well, jingle. Well, Andy Blockmore's tuned in from a rainy Vancouver, so you can now play the jingle because everyone's ready. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And we start with Formula One news, of course, which means we need to introduce our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon. Good evening, Nick. Good evening, Tim, and hooray! I'm shouting a bit loud. I'm in a Paris hotel. Um, <clears throat> hooray, everyone. What's hooray in French? Hooray, isn't it? Uh, I don't know, actually. Good question, actually. <laughs> we had the British Grand Prix at the weekend. We uh, did. And uh, as we heard on last week's show, it wasn't uh, the last British Grand Prix at Silverstone because there are going to be five more. Uh, and five uh, is a significant number in another way, isn't it, Nick? I'd like to point out, I did tell you there was going to be more British Grand Prix months ago. Yes, we all knew that. Yes, I, I, the, the, I know. You, I know. I was out of date with everything I said last week because I was too early. But even so, it was obvious. Uh, I, you're going to have to help me out why five is a significant number for all of them because I, I, I don't know what you're what you're getting at because you've been too cryptic. Oh, too cryptic. Uh, well, in that case, extension. It was a five-year extension. Should we move on to the number six then? Why is number six important? You must get this one. Because Lewis won his sixth British Grand Prix. Yes, uh, five is how many won in a row. No, he hasn't. Didn't win last year. Did he not? No. Fessel won last year. He was second after getting hit by Reckon on the first corner. Yeah. I misread Great that Great stat. <laughs> Lovely stat. Uh, but a win that's overshadowed by uh, racism. Really? Yes. I didn't see it being overshadowed by racism. Uh, lots but of questioning. Is this, is this a... 
Oh, yeah, this is the thing about if he thinks he's British because he lives in Monaco. It was a Guardian journalist as well of all people who came up with that one. So obviously he was more coming at it from, from an, an elitist tax-paying side of it than a uh, um, a ethnicity situation. It's ridiculous. A ridiculous storm in a teacup. And another example, unfortunately, of the unpleasantness of the British press and the, our ability to knock down not, fantastic sports people. Not just the British press, unfortunately. There is an element of racism within uh, motorsport that we've talked about on this programme before when it comes to Lewis Hamilton that is quiet, that is not necessarily always overt, but there's undoubtedly an element of racism there. There's a lot of people that don't like him because of his colour and his background. There's no doubt in my mind about that at all, and I think that Formula One and motorsport need to get a grip of it. It's, it isn't acceptable. And there's a lot of people, look at motorsport in Europe in particular, it's different from the US, but in in Eurosport, uh, in motorsport in Europe in particular, um, motorsport and motoring started in the higher echelons of society because they were the only people who could afford cars. And those people who run motorsport like to think that they are part of that upper echelon. That's why they wear blazers and cravats and have badges on them and things like that <laughs> and uh, and there are classes of people who aren't simply aren't acceptable to the motorsport elite in the uk and in in europe and lewis doesn't fit into one of those pigeonholes easily and his color is part of that and to deny that, I think, is would would be short-sighted. Now, listen, I'm I'm not a massive fan of of Lewis. I think there's been things that he's done that hasn't been very sensible. But on this particular uh, part of of the situation, I do think he gets a raw deal sometimes, and we've seen uh, we've seen it in the past. And I thought we saw it again at the weekend. And and there are still people who tut tut about the fact that he's got his hair in cornrows, that he's got tattoos, he's got body art, he wears ink, that he associates with 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 urban music, um, uh, um, ex, uh, people who exploit uh, uh, urban music. I, I, and I, and I, I think it has to be brought out. I really do. And it has to be called out because that's not what we're about. If you're watching the cricket at the weekend, um, uh, which I did. For the benefit of those people saw... outside of uh, the UK, uh, our Commonwealth and uh, pretty much anywhere else, uh, cricket is a uh, sport which is uh, quite popular in some parts of the world. And what we saw was, and, and actually also, if you look at the crowd at Silverstone, the 141,000 people who turned up on Sunday, and that's what 141,000 people does look like, by the way, 60-odd thousand <laughs> people in the grandstands and the rest on the bank side. That was a busy Silverstone. If you look at the crowd there, if you look at the crowd at Lords on Sunday for the uh, ICC um, World Cup, what you see is ethnic diversity, and that's what Great Britain is all about. And Unfortunately, we haven't got that within certain elements of the press when it comes to motorsport and particularly the Formula One. What do, you... do you know what, John? I really, really wish I could disagree with you, but unfortunately, I completely 100% agree and I think it's appalling. Um, and just going back to the original and, and thing I, about I, this. I, 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 picked, I picked my words there 
Nick very, very carefully mm. I know. because I know. I'm going to upset some people by saying that who'll think I'm overreacting and being PC. I don't believe that at all. But anybody who's listened to this program for a long time knows that I am not a Hamilton apologist. I'm not an anybody's apologist, actually. I'm not a Hamilton apologist, but it is the one thing that really, really annoys me. Mm. Yep. And let's be honest, all the other British world champions. Which is not world champions like uh, David Coulthard live in Monaco. So, you know, and they don't get the questions. Uh, what did uh, Lewis Hamilton say to uh, the question about why he wasn't as popular among the British public as Nigel Mansell? I, I, don't, I don't know if another racist. I, whilst I have watched the Grand Prix, I didn't get the whole Volder role, so I'm interested to know, and I'm not even sure if that's true, to be honest. We keep going. Uh, he said it was because he couldn't uh, grow a moustache like Nigel. Very good answer. Facial hair. Always a response to all these things. <laughs> yes. Uh, who else in the press conference said he couldn't grow a moustache? Lando Norris. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> and, and that's just because he's nine. <laughs> uh, John's I'm not reaction sure that is that very is similar to Lando's. About, about Sorry, John. You're not sure laughed. what was true? I agree with. Uh, sorry, there, there is quite a bit of a delay because we're spread to the four winds today. Um, the I'm not, I'm not sure that that is true about whether Lewis is more or less popular than uh, than Nigel Mansell. I think that it's a different um, it's a different era, and I think anybody that thinks that Lewis isn't po- uh, popular uh, among British motorsport fans, real fans, and among the people who for example, the marshals and, and people like that. Uh, and, and when you look further afield outside the motorsport bubble, hasn't he done more to bring the sport, I'm talking about Lewis Hamilton here, to a different audience than probably any other um, any other F1 driver of any nationality and look and look at the banners around Silverstone look at the banners around Silverstone you want to tell me that he that Lewis Hamilton isn't as popular as Nigel Mansell was and he's pomp not at all he talks to the fans the fans talk to him you could hear the fans go wild when he passed Bottas now all right you you could possibly say that was because the cars are so quiet nowadays but really you think that Lewis is not as as popular as Nigel, sorry, when I say you, I mean some people think that Lewis Hamilton isn't as possible, popular as Nigel Mansell. What, possibly among some daily newspapers in the UK who, who want to find fault in everything that he does because that's, that's what they do. And it doesn't matter who the popular figures are. They build them up because they want to knock them down again. I, I, I think that's a... Honestly... I think that's a fatuous thing to say that that he's not as popular as Mansell. I think he's at least as popular as Nigel Mansell, given that the sport perhaps doesn't have the profile that it had when Nigel Mansell was driving. And there's a whole different conversation to be had there, which we saw with the cricket again at the weekend um, with the amount of people who will watch it if it's on free-to-air television. Then, I mean, you'll know the figures probably better than better than us, but uh, Tim, but. Were there more people watch the cricket at the weekend than watch the Grand Prix? Yeah, probably. But more people uh, by a significant margin. More people watch the tennis than the Formula One and the cricket put together. Well, yes, yeah, 
Absolutely. Doesn't doesn't surprise me at all. I, I, I think I can't believe somebody has honestly said that he's not that he's he's not as popular as Nigel Mansell. Um, Nigel Mansell had a, a big following in the UK. There was an awful lot of people in the sport that didn't like him and still don't like him. Nigel was a difficult guy to get on with, and Lewis has had his moments as well. But I've got to tell you, you only had to look at the coverage over the weekend to see the adoration from the fans and hear the cheers. They recognise him as a racer. One thing about the British motorsport public is they like people who put their heart and their soul in it when they'll cheer around Lando Norris and George Russell who haven't really got a George Russell got a massive cheer on Saturday in the qualifying and he's, he's driving for team awful Williams and you know and got his best result of the season they're a knowledgeable lot and th- th- they may well be there may well be a part of the, the, the of the motorsport public that don't like Lewis because there'll be a part of the mo- motorsport public that don't like Kevin Magnussen or Charles Leclerc or Sebastian Vettel or whoever. But British motorsport public who were at Silverstone on Sunday recognised a good race, and it was a good race. And this is me saying it was a good race. There was some fine racing and it was a good race. We didn't see much of Lewis out front because he was doing his job. He was driving away from the field. What was going on behind was interesting. For once, Mercedes didn't mess up Lewis's strategy. Um, they didn't do Bottas any favours, but that's a whole different story. But I've got, I've got to tell you, I, from what I saw at the weekend, I was, I was moved by what I saw at the weekend. And it's not, it's been a long time, Nick, since I've said that about Formula One. But I was moved <laughs> at what I saw at Silverstone at the weekend. Who? No, I think. I, sorry. Okay. Can I just say? I think. Yes, I think. Yeah. What, what John says is, I'll be as long as I like. Uh, what I think is 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 true. Is I think it, it, you can't compare eras. You can't compare fan bases. What we need to understand as decided British people is we are incredibly lucky and uh, worldwide lucky to be actually watching one of the greats in action. There is no doubt that when he retires, Lewis Hamilton will be in that greats. I mean, we have that. Not the goat because he can't have a goat because you can't compare. Um, eras, but he is by far the greatest driver of his generation, um, and he will be for two or three years to the, to the young and He's a fantastic driver, and as other drivers of his era have wilted either through political shenanigans or complete loss of form, he's carried on getting better and better and better. And you know, I think we we need to appreciate. Sometimes you need to appreciate people while they're actually still active rather than just be eulogising them after they've retired. Agreed. What do we think of the new track surface at Silverstone? Um, it seemed okay, but I'll wait for the GT- GP to tell me how it is. Uh, well, it's going to be gonna changed be re- before it's gonna be uh, before GP. Is it? Yes. Is, it Ripley? is it still Ripley? Uh, there were some bumps at Brooklyn, and that area is going to be replaced. Mm, but just that okay. bit. Oh, well, they've done quite well then. Who has... It was very dark, wasn't it? If you say so. It was very dark. No, it was very, very dark. Tarmac. And I tell you what, yes, it was very black tarmac, uh, which meant that the, the uh, temperatures went up very quickly as soon as the sun came out. And it was also... And I, I don't know whether there was a moratorium on, on people talking about it or not, but it was clearly very, very slick and there was still some oil coming up out of it, some of the essential oils coming up out of it early on in the weekend. The rain that we had overnight on Saturday and into Sunday morning probably helped a little bit. What we saw there was another full season to season in. It's like when you get your new 
frying pan. You need to get it seasoned in properly. And and that is what <laughs> that, that track is going to get quicker and quicker. So uh, mm. just keep brushing it with oil, basically. Yes. Uh, who uh, has uh, recently bought a copy of the Formula 1 2019 computer game? I don't know. Lando Norris again. No, he already had a copy. Okay, um, is it a driver? A, it is a, yes, it is a Formula 1 driver. One, uh, one who admits to be not good at computer games. Uh, Lewis, then. Not uh, Lewis, no. Tell me, I literally, I, I'd be perming one for about 17 it, now. It is I, Leclerc. Ah, well, he's... Uh, I, oh, they're all doing it now, aren't they? Have you noticed that? Yes. Uh, Crofty doing it, they're all doing it. That's, uh, all, that's us, you and me first. What, what was the first thing he did uh, when he uh, played the game? Uh, transferred himself to Mercedes. Uh, no, he raced against himself. Did he win? No. <laughs> no, he did. <laughs> Either way. <laughs> no, which of them did he win? Was it the real him or the verbal him that won? The virtual him was better than the real him. The virtual him was That's better fantastic. than the real him. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's like the, the old story of um, Robert Palmer having finished recording an album in New York City and the rap party that went out and they went to a karaoke bar and Robert Palmer came third in a Robert Palmer karaoke competition, which I thought was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. True story. Uh, there's a similar one about someone uh, coming second in a lookalike competition. Uh, I think it might be was Sean it, Connery. It's Bette Midler, I thought. Oh, baby Bette Midler. I think it's Bette Midler. I think so, it's, it's apocryphal after all this, isn't it? Yes. Uh, who's got a new or who had a new motorhome at the weekend? Well, I'd like to Daniel say Haas. They, I thought Haas did because they had to store 90 million cans of drink somewhere. Uh, no, we'll come on to that later. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo borrowed to Martin Short's motorhome at the weekend. Yes, but I'm talking about a team in the paddock. Okay. It was Renault. No. Uh, and it's uh, black and yellow and oh. large. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo, though. Uh, large? Yes. Daniel Ricciardo was, I suppose, half right on the basis that he is a Renault driver. Uh, and one who yeah. was yeah. one who was up to mischief at the weekend. Yes, he he was he was indeed he he um, tagged Carlos Sainz, didn't he? He did live on race. Spanish television. Oh, you're yes. talking about during the race? No, uh, in an interview on Saturday. No, no, I would say he tagged him in an interview. Right. That's what it, that's what it's called. I can't if I I could explain more what he did, but that's tagging. Right. Yes, yes. I know it, tagging has no other means. Basically, he hit him in the gentleman's area. Yes. In a sneaky <laughs> manner. <laughs> Live on Spanish television. <laughs> That's fantastic, Nick. And the Spanish journalist did not react at all. Well, uh, well he hadn't been hit. The, he, he was one who got hit. Uh, female female <laughs> he reporter. Been in the gentleman's area. <laughs> exactly. It's hard not to react on that front, I can tell you. <laughs> uh, who started fantastic. the race and the Porsche Super Cup race in the morning? Who started the race and Charlie the Porsche? Um, Charlie, Charlie Sonia. Yes, and who started the Formula 2 race? His daughter? His daughter, yes. 
very good. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying this Christmas. Was a nice touch. Yeah, it was. Sorry, Nick. I thought that no, was a really no, nice no. touch by. Yeah, because that that was an FIA decision that broke all protocols. That was a beautiful human touch. There'd been a very nice uh, memorial service, if you will, for Charlie on Thursday evening at the British Racing Drivers Club. Um, uh, and um, I thought I, I saw a bit of Vettel's um, speech and I, I thought that was a nice touch from the FIA mm -hmm. because yeah. I thought he uh, the whole thing was didn't have to happen but it did and yeah I mean, there's a more human side, I think, to the FIA and to Liberty than there was in the old Bernie and uh, and uh, CBC partners. They're not perfect by any means, but they are a little bit more human. Uh, and uh, Vettel's speech, uh, excellent, given that it was written by him and not in his uh, own language. Vettel is a very intelligent, thoughtful guy, a very witty guy, and probably of the drivers of all the drivers who are currently racing, the bloke you most like to go out to dinner with. However, um, he would deny any that, dinner invitation. A yes, and B, that's not what he's there for. He's there to be a racing driver, which he is singularly failing to be at the moment. Yes, let's talk about Sebastian Vettel's race then. Well, should we talk about his qualifying first? Awful. Carry on. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about his race then. Awful. Awful. Um, no, I mean. <laughs> Basically, Fettel started in you know, off form, behind Leclerc by a long way, um, lucked into third place during the um, by going long in the first session, section and therefore picking up the safety car pit stop. Um, got overtaken by Fe by Verstappen, who had more speed than the Ferraris, and then had a complete another complete brain fade. It tends to go back underneath him when there was no space, and did that thing he's done before, just locking up and then smacking into someone, um, and. Punching them both on the track, remarkably, both cars continued on. It was a big old hit. They both went in the gravel, um, of which he got a 10-second penalty and points in his license. But it was like it was, it was like a, it was it wasn't even a rookie mistake. It was a Formula Three mistake. Um, Ferrari have made some kind of one changes to their car uh, because apparently they had a problem with understeer, and uh, the changes they've made have uh, completely removed the uh, understeer problem. Are they? Yes. Didn't seem to be but it doesn't understeer when it's, it's ploughing the back of something. I don't know. I think so they now have the a, an issue with oversteer when coming out of corners, which uh, Vettel hates more than the understeer that uh, that uh, was there before. But uh, Charles Leclerc really likes. He likes a car so oversteer. We're now making excuses for him. I mean, I, 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 this is this is more and more looking like this is going to be his last year because it's he's just. And yeah, you know, Fettel's you know, four-time world champion, but he's just having a terrible season. Um, and he's now the pendulum is well and truly swung, and he's now not on Leclerc's level for the last three races. Where the luck may, have, you know, I said, and it's, I said it at the end of the season last year, Nick, and I and I stand by it. I said if Leclerc was anything like we expected him to be, I think that I thought then, and I'm absolutely certain uh, that Vettel's head has gone. And, you know, it's a bit like Alvaro Batista in Superbikes. That, Nothing's you know, like that. He, 
Well, um, at least he's getting to the end of the races. Um, the, this is getting the start of the race, in fact. Um, but but I I can't see Vettel wanting to put his quarter legacy on the line. Um, I think he's done at the end of the season, and I think he's done from all motorsport at the end of the season. I don't think he goes anywhere else. I think Hamilton be exactly the same, by the way. Um, and now the musical chairs start. And who goes where? Lewis goes to finish his career at Ferrari, maybe. No, he's got another year. Absolutely. Another year. And no, I mean the, the big. I mean, if it does happen, and it looks more likely because he must get fed up with this constant pressure. And, and I think he knows in himself that this this mark isn't going to happen next year. Does he see out of his out his out his contract for the money he doesn't need and the humiliation he doesn't need when he's a very private man so the next question is where do ferrari go next and that appears to be you know the let's promote someone within but then they've got no one really experienced to do it with yeah they've got so do they make a call to spain is the question isn't it or finland alto romeo to kimmy well, Kimmy, no. and I know Nick. I know you don't like him, Nick. And I said this at the weekend. I know you haven't got a lot of time for writing him, but he's only been out of the points, I think, once this year so far. And I think he's driving. The problem is, and you made this point um, last week in the bits we didn't use actually um, about driving without pressure. And driving without pressure is very different than being a team leader or driving with the expectation of a world championship. And, and you were talking about that with uh, Verstappen. And I thought mm. that was a very well-observed comment. Um, Kimi this year, I think, is driving as well as he's driven for any for an amount of time and probably better than most. He's been more consistent through the year. He's getting a decent amount out of the car. He's getting points finishes. However, crank him back in. Mm, but then again, so I'm arguing against myself now. But then again, <laughs> he, he is a very, very good second driver. And then, But do you think Leclerc can leave the team after a year in Formula 1? You know, I think this is the thing. It really depends how serious are Ferrari about sorting the problem out. I mean, um, the logical thing to do if Vettel goes is to employ Fernando Alonso. Because he won't cost much money. Because Alonso won't be expensive at this point. He just wants to win something. Um, And all the people he fell out with at Ferrari aren't there anymore in the management. They've all gone. Um, Unfortunately, one of them has passed on and, and the others have retired or moved around. So, you know, they turn around and go, right, off you go. Knock yourself out for a, for a year with a with an option. And that would be obviously a, a, a better solution than what they currently have. And whether Alonso could beat Leclerc, who, seems, who certainly has um, shown both sides of the character in the last couple of weeks and, be, and is obviously absolute the real deal and the great thing was you know i love the bit i love most of all the race was when he was defending against verstappen in exactly the same way as verstappen defending everyone else and verstappen moaned about it, it was brilliant i mean the to a bite a bit it was fantastic who would be the number one in the, that the, team the, then nick well this is what they got it you have to stop this concept of number one but Ferrari can only work with one car. They showed that again at Silverstone. They were so happy that uh, they'd brought Vettel in for a free pit stop when the safety car out. They completely forgot about Leclerc. But that yes. is a that is a functional issue that needs to be sorted out. And there's no reason why the Ferrari team can't operate as effectively as Mercedes and Red Bull. But they they the problem is when you start the season by going this is our number one. The, it's not necessarily an issue. The problem is everybody on the other side of the garage knows they're number two. 
And what does that do for your motivation? The last time the Ferrari, Ferrari had two equal guys. drivers, they were Gerhard Berger and John Alesi. The thing about Ferrari, though, guys, quite simply, is they're brake drivers. They do brake drivers. And whatever you think about Vettel, they've broken Vettel. Going to Ferrari has broken him. He he hasn't been able to get on. He hasn't been able to mould the team in his image. He's now got a car that is the worst thing that he ever wants because he does not like a loose back end. He likes a tight back end. He likes a car that pushes. He likes a car that he can lean on. He Let's not forget, Nick always points this out, he was the king of the blown diffuser. He was the driver who made that work more than anyone else. In the same way, we talked about Nigel Mansell earlier on. Nigel Mansell was the king of... Um, downforce and active ride he got that he got his head around it he believed in it he was the guy who was reacting to things before they even happened and and lotus couldn't even believe what he was doing vettel was the king of the blown diffusers the back end that is sorted that is down if that is how the ferrari's got to drive to make it work he's out of there he's out of there he's gonna have a horrid second half of the season Horrid second half of the season. So who's going to go there? Everybody wants to drive for Ferrari until they go to Ferrari and then they want out. How long has Leclerc got on his on his contract? Two more years after this year? If, Probably, yeah. if he's not world champion by then, he will need to leave to be world champion. Otherwise, they will break him as well. I'm not quite as... Um, I don't have quite as serious a, a view of the Ferrari. I think the Ferrari need to stop thinking in terms of one and two. Um, and they need to have the same as Mercedes do. A natural one and two evolves, but they've still got Bottas sticking the thing on pole and then and leading the race and 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 being allowed to lead the race. Um, you know. But by the way, before we talk, the, the very important point to point to, to make out is that um, the uh, safety car pit stop did not win Lewis the race. He'd already had the race won before then because he was in a one-stop strategy. Why was he in a one-stop strategy? Because the one weakness that Bottas has is his time management is nowhere near as good as Lewis's. And that is why Lewis will be untroubled in his run to the World Championship because the guy who can beat him on Saturday and has done a brilliant job on Saturday, Valtteri Bottas, is just not suited to these tyres. Valtteri Bottas in the Bridgestone era... Well, that would be a different thing, but we're not in the Bristol era, we're in the Pirelli era, and not being able to manage your tyres is akin to not being able to turn left properly. Who else uh, suffered uh, in the uh, safety car? Um, um, Lando Norris. Lando Norris, yes. Yeah, because he he, they, they didn't get him in. Uh, well, when he did come in, he was slowed down by the fact that uh, there were two cars leaving the pit side by side uh, ahead of him. Uh, and then uh, he was threatened with an unsafe release, although he wasn't actually penalised for it. No, they've they, they decided you can't have an unsafe release himself because the pit lane's so wide, apparently. They managed to get two cars uh, wide all the way along. Yeah, I know. That, 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 was, that was interesting. I, I thought that was a little bit dodgy, but hey, I'm not the only steward. Who had his best weekend of the season? Pierre Gasly. That was it an easy correct, question. correct, yes. Uh, by quite a long way. Fourth. Yes, because he actually looked like a functional member of the, the Red Bull team rather than some bloke hanging around waiting to come fifth to get the fastest lap. Um, so, you know, well, yeah, I, I think it's nice. And what I really do hope is it's a turnaround for, for Pierre and we see it's continuing in, in Germany next in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, but we did see some cracks on the Red Bull. On their wing end plates, yes. Yeah, obviously stress fractures, which is an odd thing for, for carbon fiber. Had both the rear end plates were found with cracks after... Uh, qualifying and were replaced 
on the grid, which is a bit of a panic, but you know, no harm, no foul. But leave some glue and some tape, but no four-pound lump hammer. Uh, <laughs> let's go back to unsafe release, John. Um, yeah, how is it not an unsafe release when the guy who's released can't even get into the fast lane because there's a car already there? Because that's what happened with Verstappen. That was the absolute. I know. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Absolute definition of unsafe release and didn't even get investigated. I can only assume that in the uh, pre-race briefings, they were told it was going to be fine because the pit lane was wide enough for it. But I thought I personally thought that was very much not on, but it must have been pre pre agreed because there was no complaint and no investigation, as you say, John. And in any other any of the tracks where it's only a one running lane, that would be a slam dunk unsafe release. McLaren uh, mechanics had to get out of the way pretty sharpish, didn't I know. they? I know. This is the thing. I, I just don't point. understand why no one said anything. I, I could Again, Tim, I'm sitting there going, I don't I hate agreeing with both of you, but I completely agree with both of you about this. I, I just sat there watching and going, what? No? Hey, hang on. But, yeah. So, no danger in the pit lane. You know what? We're talking lane. about this. We are. Yeah. No danger in the pit lane, but danger, danger, high voltage. Who was who affected by that? Alex Albon. His car was electric. She's electric for you Oasis fans from the 90s. Uh, his car was electric and um, they couldn't change the tyres without turning the engine off to de-electrify, de- to, de- um, to earth it, that's it. Uh, so they decided not to have pit stop in space. His tyres walked up. True. Yeah. So his first pit stop was fine, but the second pit stop was aborted. Yes, because basically you sit there. He was, it was, it was like one of those um, Professor Pat pending inventions. It was just sparking away all the way. Uh, but we want to have refueling back next year. By the way, oh, refueling. That's, that's, whilst... oh, shut up, John. Honestly, what a twit. That's a real. In my day, it was good refueling. It was so stupid, you sh- silly little man. Okay. Well, when when the hall of the chassis of the car conducts electricity. Mmm, excellent. I'm sure that is short <laughs> Which nobody spoke about at the weekend, which I thought was very funny. So overall, it was a good Grand Prix. We've had two good Grand Prix right. in the row. Uh, so good, in fact, that um, on the first practice session, the uh, at the pit lane exit, the big Rolex sign said Grosse Prix von Österreich. Uh, which I thought was good. We, you know, we, that, yeah. we like the Aus- Austrian Grand Prix so much, we've decided to take it on tour and bring it to uh, the UK, which is undoubtedly why, of course, the Haas had the incident, because he was shocked that he was still at Silverstone and thought he was at the uh, Red Bull ring. Uh, no doubt well, about that. But yeah, that was so one was, way of knocking off the sponsor's was, name, wasn't it? He was going the wrong way down the pit lane and thought, I've got to, I've <laughs> yes, got to, exactly. I've got to do a three-point turn here. <laughs> Absolutely right. It was that that was a that was a race though, Tim. In all honesty, that the last two races have been very good for the sport. They have. I mean, we talk about Haas. After all the negative publicity Haas had at the end of last week, uh, what they really wanted was a solid Grand Prix with both drivers in the points. What do they get, Nick? An accident the first lap, and both drive cars retiring in about ten minutes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, That's racing good car. Good, good what does Gunter Steiner have to say about yeah, this? Yeah, it's a brilliant quote, but I can't remember it word for word, so you need to, you need to read it out. Uh, both of them are in trouble. 
It's not acceptable. I was pretty clear after Barcelona what not to do. We're in a difficult enough situation trying to get the car back on track and they've got the chance where it seems like our long runs are okay. Then they crash into each other at turn five and that's not acceptable. Yes, but the other thing he said, which was great, he said, uh, I think someone asked him what, what, what else they should do. And he, and he said, why not bring a shovel and dig us deeper into this hole? He did say that, yes. Did he say that? That's fantastic. Yeah. That is absolutely fantastic. I like Gunter Steiner. I, I, I right. think um, I think Gunter is always good for a, a quote, and he's fairly down to earth and fairly seven. I think he's, um, he's almost as good as the fake Gunter Steiner on Twitter. Yeah, the other one I like is uh, Ofmar as well. Shafnar, I think he's good as well. I think he's the same sort of thing, and I think it's quite nice to have people like that in Formula One, where. You know that that sort of middle team manager Nick or team principal is you know fairly sort of shoulder shruggingly sensible about what's going on <laughs> and just goes, "Are you yeah. kidding me? Really? Yeah. What on earth are you doing? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <coughs> basically, we've had, we've had two Grand Prix good, good races. And we're going to Germany next, and Germany and Hockenheim also has a track that tends to produce good races. So it looks like we're going to get, then we go to Hungary, and that'll, that'll, run, that, that'll spoil that run. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we've had two excellent races. We had a really, you know, we've seen the next generation coming on, and we've also carried on seeing a masterclass in this race and um, from Lewis. So, you know, it, it, it's, as you said, the beginning of the season, it was, you know, it's 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 going to be Lewis Hamilton's going to win it. Um, just how many races he wins, really, isn't it? Uh, what are we not Absolutely. going to get with the German Grand Prix? I've no idea. Yeah. Poor Super Cup. That'd be a really weird thing not to be on the German Grand Prix, that, wouldn't that it? That would be a very weird thing not to be on the uh, timetable. It is on the timetable. Okay. But Formula 2 isn't. Isn't it? Why not? And nor is Formula 3, which isn't Formula Why 3. Not? Really? No. I know that. That's weird. Why, Why is that then? It is weird. Uh, they've decided that the uh, support races for the uh, Grosser Preis von Deutschland uh, will be mm-hmm. the ADAC Formel 4 Championship. What is that? Formula 4? Right. Formula 4. And right. the Renault Clio Cup. Really? What Renault Clio Club? Uh, this is well, how does that? How does that? Sorry, I mean, I don't, you know, I'll ask a question. How does that work financially? When they when they host F two and F three, I mean, does that? Do they get any money for that, or is that just part of the program? Do they, do they actually get more money from, from by having two support races that point. aren't part of it? Because as we know, the German Grand Prix is struggling for every pound. Oh, sorry, every Deutsche Mark. Sorry, every euro. <laughs> but the track doesn't get any of the money anyway. That all goes to the promoter, which is Liberty. Really straight words. Well, okay, fair enough. Presumably, presumably, Hockenheim will attract more spectators by having Renault Clios and Formula Fours on the bill than the stars of the future. As you're saying, you know that's rubbish, but never mind. Um, Well, it's probably because they know that Germany's. not coming back next year so perhaps they don't think it's worth getting all the setup information for the Formula 2 and Formula 3 cars when they're not going to be back next year uh, they'll be back in Hungary though uh, do, do we Hungary actually think that anywhere do we actually think that anywhere other than the UK where there's more people on a Friday and a Saturday than most places get on a Sunday 
and I mean, again, we saw it this weekend at, at Silverstone. And this is not me being jingoistic because I think Silverstone's done a really, really good job over the last few years in building uh, building their product. Um, it wasn't always the best place to go. It wasn't always the best place to work. And we've said that in the past. There's been a big turnaround in the last few years. Does it really matter what the support races are? Or in fact, even if there is a support race? Because other than a couple of tracks, Silverstone being one of them, I'm not sure, Nick, anybody really goes to see the support races. Um, it's hard to disagree. I mean, the, the Italian Grand Prix normally has a, a pretty uh, fe- feral crowd who enjoy it. Febrile, fe- fe- febrile, <laughs> sorry, not feral. God, uh, English deserves me. Sorry, it's very late. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot of break-ins <laughs> in the car parks at Monza. Yeah, so, uh... There are some people also, yeah. There are some feral people in the car parks. But um, I think, I think, I think it's, uh, if you, perhaps the countries with the... Uh, motorsport tradition, um, and I would include Germany in that one, uh, enjoy the support races more than some of the countries where it's uh, more of a newer thing and they're more starstruck by the main event. On um, Saturday, Jack Aitken was asked uh, uh, about this and he said, nobody's coming to Silverstone to watch me in a Formula 2 race. And then after he won it on Sunday, he uh, changed his tune and... uh, uh, said that the response from the crowd during the race uh, had been amazing and something he'd never felt before. Well, that's it. Until you, until you realise that people are backing you up and you realise the fandom, you, you, you can dismiss it, can't you? And he has driven in front of nine people at the, the um, Spanish Grand Prix for a few weeks ago, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, let's go back to Haas because uh, the drivers crashing yep. into each other uh, isn't uh, the only Haas story of the week, is it? Is it the fact that they've now published a letter where Haas have said you owe us loads of cash? Because that was impressive. Uh, well, there's been a couple of letters published um, and lots of tweets which seem to uh, contradict each other. Um, what do we know? Richard Story's an idiot. That's what we know. Um, is it Richard Story? William, sorry. William, William Story. Story is an idiot. Rich and... is the name of his product. He seems to think that he can make things up as he goes along, regardless of the contracts he signs and the things he says. He's think, I probably think he's being very loose cannony and very sort of, you know, on the edge. He's just being an idiot. And if his company doesn't go bust, they'll be taken for all the money in the contracts. Because it's blooming obvious Haas wouldn't have a performance clause. You can't change your mind because you want to. Much as you can't steal someone's logo. Because guess what? The courts, there's law. The company's either going to disappear because he can't afford the money or he's going to have to pay the money and carry on sponsorship. It doesn't matter what you think you want to do or, or I'm going to be all crazy and different. The reason there are contract and the reason there are design logos is because it's the law to stop idiots like him mucking up people's lives, basically. Uh, one of the clauses in the uh, uh, court case uh, a couple of weeks ago now uh, was that he uh, or Rich Energy had to reveal uh, the value of the sponsorship agreement by uh, the 18th of July. Um but we don't have to wait till the 18th of July anymore because Haas have told us exactly how much it costs to sponsor their team. Uh, and that was £13 million this year, of which they've already received £7 million, £14 million next year and £15 million the year after. There we are. And they've also said you need to give us all £34 million quid now, which is left over. So I wait in joyful hope for the coming of the all-recycled aluminium white bike frame from the cans uh, that that still for me is when they get those cans 
and they recycle them as they will do because whatever happens those aluminium cans have got some value i really hope they make a limited edition set of bikes in uh and, and get them out there the other thing is i want somebody to put white bikes on a formula one car i know they've got a a, a deal with mercedes-benz um but i really really want to see the white bikes logo on a formula one car somebody has to make that happen if you pardon the pun couple of uh, interesting bits of social media around this story over the weekend go on right uh Rich Energy tweeted a picture of a milk float uh, with a Haas livery on it, uh, which also featured the um, Stag logo as well. Really? I'll yeah. tell you what, if he starts trying to sell Haas F1 toasters, I'm suing. What I don't like about this, Nick, is the way it's being played out on social media. This would not have happened Ooh, in Bernie's era. It may have been, the lid may have been put on it, but there are plenty of dodgy, non-playing, weird sponsors during Bernie's era. Um, and also, don't no, forget, no, no, course, I, I, no, 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 that, no, no, that, 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 I, absolutely. But this would not have played out the way it's playing no, out he'd, now he'd, with he'd, this he'd ridiculous it. Twitter spot. It would have jumped, well, he, he's never marched for social media, but this would have been jumped on quite quickly. Um, but oh, by the way, the irony of irony, of course, is that um, Haas were very happy to to steal inverted commas steal to win this deal against Williams, weren't they? Williams thought they had this deal last year, and they lost it. They must be they must be clapping their hands now, as much as must Racing Point, who, of course, they at one stage it looked like um, this sort of sponsor. Although you know, if if they've paid their bills, that's one thing. Uh, whether they've got the product or not, I suppose. But, you know, the Racing Point was nearly taken over by these guys, weren't they? So, I, I, I don't know. I just think it's... I just don't think it does the sport any good. Uh, as I understand it, Williams uh, refused the sponsorship from uh, uh, okay. Rich Energy uh, after some due diligence. Interesting. I, didn't, I hadn't heard that part of the story. Okay. Shall we go over some of the key dates uh, that we've had so far? So, uh, July the 11th, when was that? John? When was that what? That when, was, when was July um, the 11th? That was last week? It was. That was a date uh, at which Rich Energy had to pay White Bikes the £35,416 in court costs. Which they haven't done. They have not done that. Uh, so, what are White Bikes going to do instead? Uh, if they've got any sense, uh, they will issue a winding up order. That's exactly what they're going to do. Next key date mm. is uh, the 18th of July, uh, which is when? Uh, that's uh, two days away. Tomorrow. tomorrow. No, that's tomorrow. Uh, that is the tomorrow, date yeah. by which the uh, Stag logo has to be removed from everything to do with uh, Rich Energy. So. Yeah. All the uh, Haas branding, all of the websites, uh, every can of drink that exists in the world, that Stag logo has got to be gone by tomorrow. Or Right. Does that include the 90 million cans that are already being made? Oh, uh, yes. It, it includes uh, the ones that are on sale on eBay. It includes the picture of the ones that are sale on eBay, which is on our website. Uh, <laughs> so do we have to take that down or colour in over the top of the logos? Well, uh, rich energy have to ask us to do that right okay. um 
So we we shall see if they do that. Uh, but historically, they, they've got a couple though, of hours left. Um, but, but if they don't do though, that, the they just have to deliver um, all of the offending items to uh, White Bikes by the first of August. Right. And just to prove we're live, by the way, it's now throwing it down of rain here oh. at uh, at Lime Rock Beautiful Park. Beautiful evening here. Uh, what uh, what's the other key part of uh, the eighteenth of July? Eighteenth uh, of July. In relation to this, what, what I, else is I, happening I, tomorrow at ten a.m. in the Central County Court of London? Ooh, I don't know. Uh, there's a court case between uh, William Story and Rich Energy and a company called Vin X or Van X. Right. Uh, now, this is a uh, wine merchant. Right. Uh, which, uh, when Rich Energy was set up, uh, was contracted to provide some uh, business advice for the drinks industry. Right. Uh, they also. Uh, offered a small loan of £20,000 to Rich Energy, mm-hmm. uh, which they claim has not been repaid. And they also promised uh, 20% of the stock of Rich Energy, uh, which they do not, uh, they claim, currently have. Right. Uh, so they're going to court tomorrow to uh, clear some of that up. I think now would be a great opportunity to bring in our Christmas gift ideas and business correspondent, uh, Eve Hewitt. Good evening, Eve. Good evening. Uh, you've been digging Greetings around Greetings from Hind of Towers. Yes, live from our Thrapston <laughs> studio. Oh dear, what a tangled web. What a tangled web. Um, the, um, the, the last part that you were just talking about is particularly interesting because, of course... Um, William Storey no longer holds the 6,400 shares. Um, he has transferred those to um, Matthew Bruce Kell. And so what do we know about Matthew Kell? Um, well, not 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 a huge amount before uh, the 12th of October 2018. Um, he is the director of eight companies. Um, the latest of which, obviously, is um, is Rich Energy slash Lightning Vault. Yes, because um, Rich Energy is no longer called Rich Energy, is it? Correct. It's changed. It's had a name change. And in in every si- single situation, the um, the timeline's the same, which is um, he becomes a person with significant control. He He's then appointed a director. Then the registered office changes. That's not really significant. Then there's a change of name. Um, In the oldest of those, um, that company has now gone into liquidation. Um, So he has eight directorships. um, All involve him with significant control. Um, And more than that, about him at the moment. Story also has a slightly checkered past in um, business ownership. Uh, he has been a director of, let me just check this, two, three, uh, five companies, um, one of which was one 
two of which was strike-offs, basically um, come determine you haven't filed any work. They call that. They they say we're going to strike you off unless you file something soon. So uh, that's happened in two cases. As I say, one winding up. The other two companies were a company called Wise Guy Boxing and uh, Rich Energy Racing. Both were listed for compulsory strike off, but that action was discontinued, presumably because they filed some accounts. Um, and obviously, he's resigned from what was Rich Energy and is now is now Lightning Vault. Uh, just looking at Rich Energy's books as well. Um, in 2017. Uh, by the way, well, I should say sorry to in in yeah. interject here. Sorry, I had to run outside to close the sunroof because it's raining so heavily here. Um, what we have to say is that this is all publicly available yes, information. Yes, yes. Eh? If you yes. haven't hacked anybody's computer or anything. No, 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 indeed. No, well, this not is as all part companies. Of this investigation, this at least. <laughs> uh, not that I'm talking about. Um, the um, so the 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 by the way, they absolutely don't have 34 million to spend on sponsorship. Um, most of their company value is listed in intangible assets, and as you all know, dear listener, that doesn't mean buildings or machinery or anything else. That means things like brands and licenses and patents and trademarks. Um, they were also listed as having three employees oh, right. in 2017, uh, which is the last set of books that I can find. Uh, they had costs of 1.7 million and debtors of 993,000. Um, so I'm not quite sure where they thought we could find 34 million from. Um, the, um, the, I mean, the interesting thing from my point of view is, is, is this transfer of shares. He says he sold them. Um, I haven't been able to find out for what price they were sold or whether indeed they were sold or just transferred. They are now in the name of um, Matthew Bruce Kell. Um, we haven't got to the bottom of uh, the strange bit of filing that happened where the company address was changed to something that started out saying the BDG group at an address in um, Notting Hill uh, because that was then removed. BDG group, the BDG group, um, there was a BDG group from Manchester that was financial services related, which was um, wound up some time ago. Yeah. What we haven't been able to find out um, is whether that's the same people. But, um, but we don't know whether they're actually involved in this process but either. But you tried to talk to the BDG group, didn't you? Yes, I did. I rang the number on the website and um, the, I gently explained that I couldn't find their company registration details on that company's house and indeed they are not on the bottom of their website which they should be um, at which point he hung up on me the person I spoke to hung up on me but like I said we haven't established any link between Matthew Bruce Kell Rich Energy Lightning Vault William Story and BDG that could just as easily have been an odd coincidental administrative error um, but only time will tell. The BDG group, though, we should say, are specialists in insolvency. And they say they are specialists in insolvency. Th they say they are the uh, country's leading <laughs> exponents <laughs> of getting you out of insolvency and transferring your assets elsewhere. Correct. Um, and well, they've they have. Done that. <laughs> well, if they're if they're involved in this, and that we don't that, know, as Eve says, we 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 don't know, but. It would seem too much of a coincidence. No, well, I don't believe in coincidences, as you know. However, that doesn't mean that someone didn't just make a mess. Yeah. Okay. And Isn't a the transfer Sorry, of someone assets... Someone clearly has made a mess. 
Eve, isn't the transfer of assets out of a company that's close to insolvency illegal? Uh, yes, but uh, that's not really what they're talking... I mean, what... what uh, it, it, let's say for the sake of argument, BDG Group are involved. It, it, what they basically try and do is, is they say they will sit down and work out a deal with, with creditors, etc., etc., um, and take that, that take that worry off your hands. However, as unlicensed practitioners, it's my understanding that they don't then have a legal obligation to the creditors. No. Um, so uh, it, that raises another question mark. Um, it, it, uh, it's too early to say, really. As I say, we don't know that BDG are involved. And uh, Eve, and can I ask a question? Yes. Sorry, because I know there's a bit of a delay on no, the no. line here. Um, do... If you transfer the assets, though, as as we, whoever's got it, we know that there's a new firm called Lightning, or that the, the, the firm's name's been changed to Lightning Vault, um, and um, William Story says he has transferred some of the other rights to another company, mm-hmm. um, and uh, um, but does that absolve him and indeed the company itself of its? Liabilities no, and no, responsibilities. No, no, no. no, he hasn't created a new company. He has changed the name of the existing company. Right. And that wasn't done by William Story, by the way. Right. Um, because he had been removed as a director at that point. Um, so the name change would have had to have been uh, either agreed or ordered by a competent um, officer of the company, so a company secretary, right. usually in agreement with with the rest of the shareholders. However, as William Story transferred his majority shareholding to Matthew Kell, that could have been done by him. This, this Matthew Kell has got um, previous um, form for doing that. Yes, we've talked about that. that. Yes, yeah, yeah, ta- yeah. yeah. And, and, and we talked about the fact that it, it always seems to follow the same pattern. What we don't know is what the next step is because every single one of those directorships that we're talking about, with the exception of um, the last one, the, the one that w- is in liquidation, date from the 12th of January to, um, to, to this week. Right. So that's six, seven directorships in, uh, right. in seven months. Um, what do you expect to see next, or is this so bizarre that even predicting um, what might happen is is nine? What what should happen? Next? I don't. Well, in theory, you would expect that um, you know, since they've rebranded themselves, they might come out with a new product, and they've got all these new logo, this machinery, and they've got intangible assets in terms of patents and trademarks. Um, pff, the trademark, g- g- big question mark. Um, that trademark is a big question mark. That's a great idea for and them. And they're about to be served with they're about to be served with a winding up order. And will that will that winding up order for um, carry on to the new company then? Correct. Yeah. Because right. they've only changed the name. They yes. haven't changed anything else. Understood. Now, the bit we don't know because I haven't seen the court papers is to what extent William Story is personally liable. Um, for any of the outstanding matters, and I, as I say, I haven't seen the court papers, so I don't know at this point. So right. that, so the question is, how much personal liability has he been able to lay off by divesting himself of the shareholding? Um, One of the letters a, from Haas's solicitors uh, suggested that William Story was a personal guarantor of some of the sponsorship. I mean, a four million right, dollars well, then worth. He is in tr- <laughs> then he is in trouble. That may be true. 
then he's in trouble. Haas have been pretty clever, I think, and, and I do feel for Haas because they've been caught up in um, in all of this, having gone into this in good faith. A bit like um, you know what happened with the um, Graham Loudon um, sponsorship from the Chinese company in, in in sports cars. They've been caught up in somebody else's issues, whether they're legal issues or not, it remains to be seen. But, um, well, no, they are legal issues because they've gone to court. Um, but, you know, Haas have actually been, I think, very sensible about this and been quite open about it in making sure that they've got their side of the story out and what appears to be a more, well, frankly, um, the Brothers Grimm could write a more believable version of events than Mr. Story. But um, I, I do think they've, they've done, done very well done very well on that uh, except I don't think they're going to see any money no because I'm not sure there is any I, I suspect there's none but now because it's presumably all been uh, transferred to Matthew Kell or to no, William no, Story n- 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 no it, we, well, we don't know on what basis those shares were transferred and I- in and of themselves those you know those that isn't a transfer of money. That's a transfer of, of an asset in the shape of a share. W- the question was, would be what money is in the bank and what money is in the company in terms of um, net liabilities and assets. And we only have figures and, for the and end of 2017. And we can't see that because that. we've only got, yes, correct. We've, we've, we've only got Co- 2017. Energy tweets, drinks have quite high margins, don't they, Eve? Yeah, so no, potentially if they've sold yeah. lots of product in the last 18 months, then they could have a lot of money in the bank. Potentially, yes. If we knew how many they'd sold. If we knew how many they'd um, sold. Alan Prosser is just... We'll do, some, we'll do some tweets on the Formula One stuff in a minute because we're trying to catch up when we're already past uh, the hour to get STC in, but I didn't want to break this up. Um, Alan Prosser reminds us all that Steven Seagal has an energy drink called Lightning Bolt, already Bolt with B, um, so they're going to have to be very careful about uh, any kind of passing off and that has a very distinctive can. Um, what does, um, and David Harp... Go on. What do the, what do the Spanish... Uh, how do the Spanish pronounce the letter V? B. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, David Harvey says, surely there's a question over due diligence by Haas at the whole start of this. I, I, I kind of agree with that, David, but if they had legal guarantees, which it sounds like it does, and if they're saying that some of the money was personally guaranteed, um, and there are clearly other shareholders within what was Rich Energy who are a little bit bewildered, he says, being diplomatic, over the way that Mr Story has has continued. And in fact, there, there has been communications from them to say that he doesn't speak for them, he doesn't speak for the company, and there are other um, interests at, um, at stake here, stake being the operative word, Eve. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? William's story previously always listed himself as a as an IT consultant. Um, he only called himself a CEO when he set up um, Rich Energy. Mm. Um, and in terms of shareholdings, you have uh, six shareholdings, of which his was by far the greatest. The next biggest was a company called Brand Sellers Holdings, which I haven't looked up yet. And then uh, you had a couple of people with a thousand shares each, and then two people with two hundred shares. Yeah. So, you know, he he retained the the power, but you know, by a very large margin, sixty four. He had sixty four percent of the shareholding. Yeah. Um, 
it will remain to be seen um, what any of those people get out in terms of a return on their investment. Okay, Eve, thank you very much for joining us from, um, I'm sure, a drier Thrapston than uh, we have here at Lime Rock Park at the moment. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. That story will run and run, and we'll get our business correspondent and Christmas present correspondent, Eve Hewitt, the responsible adult, uh, to carry on digging into that one. Midweek Motorsport, Series 14, Episode 28. I'm live at Lime Rock Park. Nick's uh, in Paris, and we'll hear some more from him in just a moment or two's time. Sorry, you caught me off guard there. <clears throat> it's Midweek Motorsport, and here's what's coming up. Still to come in the second half of the programme, slightly delayed as we go into the second half, uh, we'll have Shay Adam on the line. She's still in Canada. I'm at Lime Rock. She'll be talking about last weekend in Canada. That was IndyCar. This weekend... It, here at Lime Rock Park is the North East Grand Prix for IMSA. Two main events, both on Saturday. We'll be going through all of that. We will have, I think we'll probably have a little bit of overtime uh, tonight to try and get everything in. And we'll also squeeze in some of your tweets. But next, we'll welcome back Nick Damon, who's in Paris on Midweek Motorsports. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. The great thing about uh, the weekend uh, is that I was doing very little else, so I was able to watch a lot <laughs> a great weekend. of Silverstone, including uh, free practice for Formula 2. Sounds like a thrilling weekend. Uh, now, during free practice for Formula 2, there was a collision uh, between Sean Galil and Louis de la Traz. Right. Uh, now, I and a number of other people who watched it um, thought that Dillatraz might be penalised for that. Uh, Louis Dillatraz uh, said it was a racing incident, which is odd because it wasn't a race, it was a practice session. Uh, the stewards decided to reprimand Sean Galil, put penalty points on his <laughs> licence, and then the following day uh, decided to give him a three-place grid penalty. Right, OK. Uh, so Galil decided he didn't want any further part of it and uh, left Silverstone. Well, you can't do that. Did he? That... Yes. Why would you do that? Uh, he was unhappy. Yeah, but that's not how you handle things. Uh, Bruno Michel, who is the man who runs Formula 2, uh, said... Uh, I can only regret the way that Sean's penalty was revised at the last minute, just ahead of the feature race. I fully understand his frustration and reaction. I can only hope that he will return to the grid to finish the season. Well, he should have, he should have stayed in the race and fought it out. It's just, that's just childish. You don't throw your toys out of Pram and go home in Formula 2. Yeah, fine. If he was a clubby in the, from, the, from the 7 club, fine. Yeah, you've, you've had your... You've had your Lotus of Lees put back three places in a in a you know in a, in a tag race, fine, and you want to go home and and cry to mummy. But this is the you know Formula Two. No, Sean's an idiot. Shouldn't do that. Get out and fight. Fight your corner. Prove them wrong. Uh, moving away from Silverstone and uh, crossing the Atlantic, Saturday night, New York City plunged into darkness. Uh, a city affected by a giant power cut. 
Uh, now, can you think of anything happening in New York at the weekend that might be well, using they, a lot they, of electricity? They're they charging all the Formula E cars, were they? <laughs> uh, did you see the Formula E race? No, I was driving home from Madrid. I keep telling you. <laughs> what about the one on Saturday? No. No, I was doing. I was. We were doing a lot of work on the. Um, We've had a very, 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 very good RC race. If you have, want to spend some time, you can just watch the RC race from 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 uh, from, uh, from Chile, the one eighth IC off road Euros. We had uh, a brilliant final, and it's forty five minutes of pure entertainment, which I was, which I did say was going to be the best race of the weekend. But I must admit, the F one race was very good as well. Uh, Sebastian Boemi won Saturday's race, and uh, Robin Freints won the Sunday race. And, and Jervis the title champion. went to Jean Eric Verne. I think we might have lost Nick temporarily. Uh, one more Formula E story, which is that uh, Andre Lotterer will uh, switch from DS Techita to Porsche for next season, John. Where he where he will partner Neil Gianni. Uh, They've for met before. Porsche. That's they? a good. That's a yeah, and that's a good. That, that's a good signing uh, for them. I, I, I think I forgot to say in still to come. We've got a lot of sports car news yes. uh, tonight as well, and we'll get and to that in a, a minute. But as well. I, I, I want to catch up on some tweets, yes. We, we got into the rich energy thing um, straight after uh, the Formula One stuff, but I want to go through because I've got a lot of people talking. Um, Adrian Michael Reese says, Lando Norris is the personality and social media hero that Formula One needs and deserves right now. Joe Taylor, on the Lewis Hamilton popularity point, he said, I was stood at Cops for qualifying, massive cheer for Lewis whenever he went past on a qualifying lap, and an even bigger one every time he went faster. And Kevin Poulton says, yeah, and a great lap with Lewis and Frank Williams too. That was very good, wasn't it? Nick H says, it's the modern British curse I don't think it's just a British thing, but I'll take your point. It's a modern curse. Success leads to derision in some major circles and is propagated. Good points from all of you on Hamilton. Carol Brink says, are these, the journey, are these journalists uh, just envious of Lewis's lifestyle? I do agree that he's the only driver that crosses into other groups and then brings those that he meets to the track. Lewis not popular, says Phil. You're having a laugh. I drove to Silverstone to see his first ever lap in a Formula 1 car and he's following his mega compared to anyone else in my experience and my opinion. I've only been following Formula 1 for 40 years. Uh, Rob Chalmers uh, says, listening for the first time in ages, still recovering from um, uh, Le Mans weekend. So glad you still put the pause after awful Williams. Uh, what's going on with Vettel? All those mistakes when put under the smallest pressure, says Dave Baker. Well, I think, you know, that's the point, isn't it? Andrew Muggerish says, I'm not a fan of Lewis either, but I've warmed him more this season. He seems more mature, natural, and dare I say cooler in front of the camera. What's not in doubt is that he is and has been for some time the absolute best driver in Formula One. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, what about Danny Rick to Ferrari, says Jack Gabriel in the merry-go-round of drivers? Yeah. Uh, not only Ferrari forgot a driver under the safety car, Mercedes and Red Bull managed to do the same. And Vettel's titles, uh, three and four, were after the blown diffuser were already outlawed. That is a fair point. Um, oh, Phil uh, says, why oh, did we even have a safety whoa. car? <laughs> what? Uh, Nick has responded on Twitter to this, which is that uh -huh. uh, although it was outlawed, there was still exhaust blowing, uh, creating downforce in both 2012 and 2013. Phil, a number of, among a number of people have tweeted at Specky Tim and said, why did we need a safety car at all? Listen, at the bot bottom of the veil, downhill, braking area, do you really want cars coming back every few seconds when you're trying to crane a car out of, uh, out of the, the 
the gravel, it's a judgment caller. I'm not going to argue against Chris Suku. I couldn't work and listen to mid Mick Motorsports simultaneously, so he's catching up. Um, given the success that uh, Leclerc has had at a Ferrari, surely anybody uh, could get the second seat. How about a disruption plane sign, Ocon uh, out of their, uh, or uh, Russell out of their Merck contracts? Uh, unsafe release, you're looking for... Cons- ah, Adrian Michael Race. Regarding the unsafe release, you're looking for consistency in the rules this season. We've had one and a half, arguably two cases of rules not being applied for the good of the sport, and I'm surprised this didn't uh, get... Uh, uh, I'm surprised it didn't get pinged. Um, Rich Energy social media account has been such a match. I correctly predicted that they tweet negatively about the cars when they made contact, and of course they did. Uh, um, why would white bikes be uh, obliged to dispose of the content? Or would white bikes be obliged to dispose of the content of the cans? I'm, I'm not sure the cans are full. That's the problem. So certainly, um, so uh, William Story in a previous uh, interview had uh, claimed that he had 90 million empty cans. Yes, correct. That was in the court papers, wasn't it? Um, so, uh, so there we are. Um, that's that's that. What are we going? Where are we going to next? We we spent a lot of time on Formula One and business news this we, week, we but have, there was a lot of news. In yes, fact. but we haven't now. We're going to have overtime, aren't we? Yes. We have now covered Formula E and Formula 2 as well, so that's them out of the way. Right, okay. Can I take a very off? short bit of uh, World Rally while Nick's not, not answering? Uh, which yes. is that uh, Elvin Evans is missing Rally Finland on medical grounds uh, after a heavy landing on last week's Rally Estonia. Uh, he and oh co-driver Scott Martin have been forced to sit out the ninth round of the World Rally Championship. Evans said, I'm absolutely gutted to be missing Rally Finland, but we suffered a pretty heavy landing in Estonia and have been advised to sit it out and focus on making a full and quick, quick recovery. Is anybody taking over or are they just not entering the car? Uh, yes. Gus Greensmith will take over the car. It'll be his second ever World Rally Championship appearance. Final tweet um, before we head into some more Alongside news. Alongside Elliot uh, ha- co-driver. Right. David Harvey says, thanks as ever for Eve's excellent research when this sort of thing comes up. We like to talk about facts and do a bit of research um, when these things comes up. It's important um, to do that. Where would you like to go next, Tim? Uh, Nashville. Why would you want to go to Nashville? Ten years ago, Sterling Marlin retired. Uh, subsequently, he has been suffering from Parkinson's disease, and right. four months ago, he had his third uh, bout of brain surgery to uh, try and combat the Parkinson's disease. Right. At the weekend in Nashville, he was supposed to be racing once again at his home track, Fairground Speedway, wow. where he is only two starts away from being uh, the... Now, is he two starts away or two wins away from being the winningest driver at the track? Two wins well, away well, from being the winningest successful. driver yeah. at, the, at the fairground. More successful. No such uh, word as winningest. Unfortunately, uh, there was a problem with his clutch, which means that he wasn't uh, able to take part in free practice at all. And he decided that if he uh, hadn't had any practice, he probably shouldn't go straight into the race. So he's going to have another go on August the 10th. Good for him. And next. Sports cars. 
Oh, we've got loads of this. Settle back because uh, we've pushed this into the second half of the programme so we can give it due, its due thing. And first of all, a link with Formula One. Don't all turn off, everybody. Um, I want to talk about the Aston Martin Valkyrie. Oh, yes. Shown for the first time. was on track at Silverstone. It, well, it, some version of it was, yes. Um, the, the Aston Martin Valkyrie is uh, Aston Martin's new um, super hyper mega... Ipe car. Donner and Blitzen car. Ipe market. And uh, it looked absolutely great. A lot of people complaining about all the videos that were out there having music laid over them so you couldn't hear it. Um, it the, the V12 is not the old V12, so do not expect it to sound like the old... Uh, LMP1 Lola chassis car. This is a, a new bespoke engine that has been built by Cosworth and uh, it's uh, a slightly smaller capacity. Um, I think it's a 5.3 uh, 5.3 V12 uh, and it makes a very, very different noise. I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have heard the car running, albeit at very slow speed, but at relatively high revs. Um, I know that there's a Top Gear video out there that you can find where they're bench where they're bench testing the car but trust me that's not at all what the car sounds like when it's actually running um but the car looks stunning it's much much smaller than the the uh project cars that we saw ooh, nürburgring last year uh, and that everybody have seen the pictures of uh, it's smaller it looks lighter it looks more like a bespoke racing car than a road car um very, very thin centre section, hardly anything underneath, double wishbone suspension, both ends. So this, make, whatever that was that we saw going round Silverstone, that is a racing car. Whether it is um, a special for the new Bond 25 film in which it is going to feature, there's three Aston Martins in that, at least three Aston Martins uh, in that, um, but... Uh, whether it is a development, whether it's a pre-production, whatever it is, that was a racing car, top, bottom, middle. I'm very excited uh, by that. And whilst we're talking about... Did you see it, Tim? No. Um, whilst we're talking about Great British Marks, uh, welcome to Bentley Motorsport, Paul Williams, who will be replacing Brian Gush at Bentley Motorsport. Brian's been at Bentley for 20 years uh, in various different capacities. Uh, Brian started uh, in the powertrain uh, department at Bentley. In fact, that's where Paul's come from as well. Brian is retiring on the 1st of April uh, and we wish him well. Uh, comings and goings continuing. Ligier have terminated United Autosports agreement to distribute their cars in the UK. Was anybody shocked about this? International surprise faces anybody? Not after Remember, last week's news, United no. No, United Autosport, we reported last week that they'd bought a couple of Oricas uh, and unsurprisingly, Ligier have terminated the exclusive distribution agreement. Now, that sounds like it's a bad thing. It seems to have all been done, all the quotes that I've seen, uh, and whether this is just people being sensible or whether it's real, I don't know, but I don't really care. It's a complete, uh, it's a complete counterpoint and opposite to what we were talking about before the break. This seems to have been done uh, in adult terms and sensibly. It, it is worth noting that United Autosport are keeping their options open. They've still got Ligier chassis. Uh, they're racing in the ELMS. Uh, and possibly coming to IMSA as well is what I'm hearing, uh, and we'll find out what's going on with that. There's also a, a sort of bubbling story about, um, b because Zach Brown obviously owns United Autosport, um, the, the company that, the, the race team that Richard Dean runs, um, 
there's a continuing rumour, which might well be true, it might well be two and two making five, six or seven, that McLaren are planning a DPI on an Orica chassis rather than on a Legier one, and that's why they've got the Orica chassis. Do we know that that's true? I don't know at all, actually. Um, moving on to WEC news, of which there is plenty. The Toyota young driver, Kenta Yamashita, is joining high-class racing uh, for their campaign this year. He's a, an established figure back in his homeland of Japan, GT 300 and 500 winners already, and he will. So he's from the Young Driver program, and Toyota have also added Thomas Laurent to the Prologue lineup. Now he's one of their young drivers, or development drivers as well. So Thomas Laurent is in the number seven lineup for the Prologue, which is next week. And Johnny Palmer will be reporting for us exclusively uh, from Barcelona. So that's an LMP1. Uh, drive for him at the prologue and in fact he'll be doing double duty because he's also teamed up with Andre Negrau and Pierre Rag in the number 36 Signatech Orica Alpine thing. We, we uh, may be still able to, no talk to uh, Johnny Palmer in Barcelona in a few minutes as well uh, seeing, if, right, okay. uh, seeing if we can get that connection lined up. Okay, fine. Um, still no Rebellion drivers named for the prologue, but there's time yet. A uh, couple of other notable things. Will Stevens uh, has been drafted into Jackie Chan DC Racing to partner Gabrielle Aubrey and Hoping Tung. Project One have added David Hennemar Hansen uh, to Agidio Perfetti. Uh, and I, I think I've just seen DHS tweeting that he's going to be racing in the ELMS this weekend uh, as well as to, to shake off the uh, the dust, as he said, the cobwebs. Red River Sports will have Johnny Morlam and Bonamy Grimes, of course, and Charlie Holling uh, will be teaming up with them. And some Aston Martin changes as well. Johnny Adam is going to be driving with TF in their arm car. This is all in the prologue. There's no Sally Yolick or Ewan Hankey because they're both at Spa. And in the number 98 car, Paul Delalana and Matthias Lauder have not got Pedro Lamy in there, but they have got Darren Turner, Ross Gunn and Matthew Vaxvier in that car for the prologue. And again, Johnny reporting for us from that live next, or at least not live, but certainly reporting for us in some special programmes next week. Johnny will be there on Friday and Saturday. We've got some Saturday programming for you from Barcelona for the two races, the ELMS and the support race, the Michelin uh, cup uh, and congratulations to Stewie Hall and Tammy Collins who are getting wed this later on this week and thanks to Sarah Rigby for reminding me of that uh, as well Matthew Hyman said the new Aston Martin Valkyrie if this is going to be made available to customers could the next generation of IMSA DPI rules be opened up to allow Hypercar and the Valkyrie to compete against the DPI no is the answer to that that's not going to happen Matthew um, so don't build your hopes up on that uh, eagerly locked on to hear the next news on British performance, the Aston Martin kind, rather than the fictional begging said the real same shaky with cover that for you. And right. Uh are we gonna get JP from Barcelona? We're not. Or, or not. Uh, right. so tell us uh what uh or when we will be able to hear uh JP in Barcelona. JP from Barcelona will be on Saturday over on uh, RS1 and, and RS3, I think. Uh, two races. 
yes. uh, this weekend, the Michelin Cup and the ELMS, both on Saturday, but very different times for the ELMS. It goes right into the darkness. So I'll remind you of that later. Don't worry. And i also remind you that you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Coming in at half past nine, we've still got lots to go in. We're going to go into a wee bit of overtime. And Tim, what's next? Time now to welcome Shay Adam to uh, our show this week. Uh, she's up in Canada. She'll be joining us this weekend, of course, for the Northeast Grand Prix down here at Lime Rock Park. Uh, I suppose good afternoon to you, Shay. How are you? Uh, great, John. Just enjoying an afternoon down by the lake. It's hot up here, and at least we have the comfort of being able to jump into some cold water. Won't be able to say the same thing for this weekend, though. No, I think it's going to be a hot and steamy one. A weather forecast is a bit of rain perhaps later on this afternoon and Thursday. And then uh, Friday, Saturday and Sunday uh, for teardown, because, of course, it's both the races Saturday. Very, very hot. In Not so much hot on the on the mercury, but hot with the humidity, adding maybe as much as 8 to 10 degrees Celsius, so a lot more than that on the Fahrenheit scale. So it's um, it's going to be right in your wheelhouse, perhaps even a bit hot for you. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about Lime Rock Park in a, a wee moment or two's time, but first let's look back to the weekend here and to an interesting race on the streets of Toronto for the NTT IndyCar Championship. Uh, ultimately, it was dominated by Simon Pagino, and for large amounts of the, the race, it, it looked like that. But Dixie gave him a decent run. Dixie came back strong at the end of the race, that's for sure, and particularly for a guy driving suffering from tennis elbow, which not a pleasant injury, especially for race car drivers with no power steering around the bumps of Toronto. That was a very hard-fought race. You could tell just how much Scott wanted it by how hard he was fighting at the end. And the question is, if the yellow hadn't come out at the end, just how close would Passion have been on fuel? You could hear it in Kyle Moyer's voice toward the end of the race when he was reminding Simon to hit his fuel number. There was a bit more and more urgency as the <laughs> laps were winding down. So thankfully for Simon, at least, Will Power went into the tires for the second time of the race at the same corner and brought out a yellow, which brought the race to a premature end. There was... Uh, uh... Obviously, there were some people who thought that was a bit of a conspiracy because of uh, the fact that those guys are teammates. But the effort made to get out of yeah. the tyres was was actually something else, uh, in yeah. fairness. And I, I, I thought it was one of the most spectacular things about the race, uh, to be honest. Was it just down to the traffic? Dixie didn't seem to get the rope of the green, green in traffic. There was a couple of times when he closed in within half a second or so of Pagino at the front of the field. It seemed like Simon, when Simon pitted early, he was one of the first ones to come in for his last stop. Dixon matched him, and Dixon went on more of a fuel save early. Simon had to go on the fuel save late, so they just sort of mismatched their times as to when they were being conservative. Dixon was still pushing hard early on in the stint, but he was maybe holding something a little bit back, hoping to get a charge at the end. And had things played out slightly differently, we might be talking about Scott Dixon winning again for the fourth time on the streets of Toronto. But it was Simon Pagano. And, and the relevant thing is that it brought the championship hunt for Simon down to 39 points to his teammate Joseph Newgarden in the lead. But remember that little stat I dropped on you last week about how many times in the last 10 years the champion has won Toronto? So 
you might want to go put a few dollars on Pagano in Vegas right now and uh, momentum definitely on his side after the month of May. Oh yeah, and, and that was his. So that was his th only his third victory of the season, but remarkably, only his third podium. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so all of all of his podium finishes have been on the top step. Exactly. Oh my goodness. Uh, he. I mean. He's not out of it. Pacino is not out of it. It's, there's a lot of points between him and Joseph Newgarden, who still leads. But if he can keep winning races, and both he and Dixie have been saying, we just want to keep winning races, we just want to keep winning races. And if you win races, there's such a close battle going on for the rest of the field that, you know, you can make up points. No, exactly. And, and especially with this swing that they've gone into, Last weekend on the streets of Toronto. This weekend, they're in Iowa. Next weekend, they're at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course. Mm. If you have one bad race, such as Will Power did with two crashes, you go to Iowa, you might be pushing a little bit too hard. You might be trying to compensate for the mistakes made last weekend. Well, say he has a bad race this weekend in Iowa. Going into Mid-Ohio, he's going to be pushing that much harder, so it could turn into a big points deficit for him. The complete opposite is true for Simon Pagano. He's riding a wave of completely dominating Toronto, pole position to win. And when you look at the results versus the qualifying order, there's not much of a difference, but there was a lot that transpired in between. If Simon can have a good race at Iowa, then he's going to go into mid-Ohio thinking, right, this is my chance to come away with the chance at the championship mm. versus someone like Alexander Rossi, who, for his credit, after hitting the wall four times, I think, over the course of the weekend, had a very clean race and accomplished his goal for the weekend, which was very simple. Beat Joseph Newgarden. And that's exactly what he did. And he's called, he's called the points deficit to what? Four, Just a handful. Four now, isn't it? Yes, it is four. Yeah. In fairness, I've got to say, neither Rossi or Newgarden were anything other than picking up scraps from the table of the first two because until the field was closed up at the end... They didn't have a look in. No, completely. And and especially when you consider Joseph Newgarden, who twice in two years has hit the wall at the exact same point of the racetrack last year while leading ultimately cost him a shot at the win. This year he was running around by himself, but the bang was such that the people in the pit lane reported to feel mm. the vibrations from it. So it was a significant clout for Joseph. He's got a bit of a mental block right now around Toronto, even though he's won there in the past. That track has not been good to him the last couple of years. How's the balance between Honda and Chevrolet? It showed up a bit at the weekend, didn't it? Well, it showed up in the form of Takuma Sato um, expiring, not, not him, his engine, on the racetrack. He managed to pull it back into the pit lane and get the fire put out, which was good. But that was a Honda showing a sign of weakness. A Chevy ultimately won the Honda Indy Toronto. Mm. But you cannot deny that there was a bit of... Um, inter-manufacturer battling going on between the lapped cars because the Hondas were letting it easier for Dixon to get around and the Chevys were letting it easier for Pagano to get around. So there was definitely some team orders coming down. Honda is better on their fuel economy, no doubt about that, but the Chevy just has a straight line speed. No one could keep up with Pagano. And he even confessed in the first third of the race that he was just cruising. Led 80 of the 85 laps. I mean, that tells you all you need to know and I think there was only um, 
well, who else led laps? Zapvich led laps when he steered out early on. And Takuma Sato led on the pit stops. Yeah, Zach didn't take. Yep. If you remember, Zach didn't come in on the, the first yellow, did he? And went long, uh, tried to tried to make something up. But nobody else le even led laps. And hmm, interesting. Um, behind Rossi and Newgarden, Rosenquist uh, had a decent run. Um, Hinchcliffe will be disappointed on home ground, but a top six finish is not to be sniffed at. The top ten made up by Holton Kurter, Colton Herter, uh, <laughs> Simon Bordier, Graham Rahal and Marco Andretti for the top ten. Santino Ferrucci just outside the top ten at 11, which is a pretty good result for him as well. What, do you, what about those others in the top ten? Um, Bordier had an interesting weekend, definitely made up for it during the course of the race. There was some odd contact, as I alluded to early on, between... Um, Graham Rahal and Will Power when Will Power made a diving lunge down Graham at a place where the door wasn't really open. They wound up spinning Marco Andretti as well, who for me, that was the best burnout of the race, John. I know mm. you thought it was Will Power, but Marco's spin and continue was pretty darn impressive. Oh, too. that was well, like, um, coming pa past that incident when he did a complete yeah. 360 in the middle of the track and then just knocked it down into first. That was pretty impressive. Was yeah, I agree with that. That's true. <laughs> yeah, that that might have been his finest driving of the year. Nothing against him. I was just so impressed by that move. Um, Santino Ferrucci definitely was mixing it up with his teammate, Sebastian Bourdais, at a couple of points on the track. He was getting a lot of attention. It was it was a good race for everybody else, but it was so overshadowed by the performance of Scott Dixon and, and Simon Pagino that you sort of walk away from it feeling like everybody else was there, but they weren't really there, if you know what I mean. Do you think there's a... There's a do you think that, that there's been so much talk and so much focus and spotlight on uh, the New Garden and Rossi battle that it's almost allowing people like Pagano and Dixon just to just go about their thing uh, and, and effectively do that under the radar while everybody else, in some respects, there's not that much pressure uh, on those guys in terms of, of championship positions. The most dangerous thing that anyone can do is count out Scott Dixon or pretend like he's not there, like he's not a championship threat, because that's exactly when he comes to life. We have seen the same thing from Simon Pagino. He spent a year where he couldn't get a handle. He couldn't figure out this new car, the, the way that it drove, the way to race it properly. He even admitted that last year. He got zero attention. He was the least uh, popular Penske driver out of all of them. This year, he's making up for that. And you're, you're spot on with it, John, because the fact that people haven't been clamoring for their attention as much. They, I mean, they went to France last week for a, a watch sponsor event. The two of them did, Dixie yeah, and, and Pagano. The fact that they haven't had to do all this media things makes it so that they can focus more on their racecraft. And they're already two of the best drivers in the world, let alone in IndyCar. Yeah, so just two point, uh, just four points between Joseph and Alexander Rossi. Then Simon Pagino is 39 points back, 86 points back for Scott Dixon. Will Power now over 120, nearly 130 points away, but only five ahead of Takuma Sato. Ryan Hunter Ray uh, is 149 back, 168 back. Graham Rahal, James. Hinchcliffe 190 back and 195. Felix Rosenquist uh, is in 10th position in the championship. But as you say, some possible big points swings coming up. So Simon Pagino with his momentum, Scott Dixon with his 
wily cunning. Scott Dixon-ness. Yeah, well, yes, Scott Dixon-ness. <laughs> yes, Scott Dixon-ness. Uh, yeah, Scott Dixon with his Dixiness. Um, yeah, they're not out of it, are they? Really? No, no, I. Not a prayer because all it would take is a bad race this weekend at Iowa for both of the front runners in the championship, Joseph Newgarden and Alexander Rossi, and then. Oh, hello. You've got Pagano and Dixie both right back in it. Mm. If Dixie wins it and Pagano has a good, not great race, but the other two have bad races, it's a four-way fight. And that could happen this weekend, next weekend. Like I said, there's still a lot of racing to go, even though the season's almost over. I think uh, I think Santino Ferrucci is the only driver who's completed all 1,128 laps uh, of the season so far. Uh, he, he has only led 28 of them. Laps led for Newgarten and Rossi, 183 to 182. 201 huh. from Pagano, the bulk of which was the weekend. Only 131, only 131 <laughs> led by Scott Dixon, but he hasn't done anywhere near the laps because he hasn't finished all, all of the the races. But the stats that count for Dixie: one win, seven top fives, seven top tens, two non finishes. He won't like because he's the only one of the top four who hasn't finished all of the races. Um, at least got to the the checkered flag. I'll be interested to see what happens with the next couple of races on two very very different race tracks. Of course, uh, Shea Adam with us here on Midweek Motorsport. Let's talk about IMSA and the Northeast Grand Prix at Lime Rock Park. Um, the story on IMSA.com. The headline is based on recent history. The Northeast Grand Prix at Lime Rock Park could be anybody's race. And actually, for <laughs> once, that is not PR hyperball, is it? No, it's completely true because you look at, uh, and I think we might have touched on this a couple of weeks ago, GTLM, for example. So we're talking about the overall win, which is important because there's only mm. 21 cars this weekend. Uh, Starworks not coming back. They've declared that with the last race that they were going to sit out the next two. That's Lime Rock included, even though they're on the entry list. Don't be fooled. And, of mm. course, uh, more speed, not back yet with their Audi R8 after the crash of Watkins Glen. So we're down to 21 cars. But out of those 21, eight GTLM. You've got Corvette Racing. Their 100th win came at Lime Rock Park back in 2016. They're fighting with one hand behind their back, effectively, though, because no Tommy Milner. Oh, wait, that's right. They found a guy who's a world champion and three times <laughs> overall a mall winner, Marcel Fessler, to fill in. Marcel has never been to the bullring before, so he's going to have to learn pretty quickly what it is to drive around Lime Rock. You've got the defending series champions, Ian Magnuson and Antonio Garcia. Antonio has never won at Lime Rock Park. That's a huge thing he wishes to knock off of his list. Then there's BMW. Their headquarters are just up the road from Connecticut. Yes. So this is very much a home race for the corporate part of the manufacturer. Both of their cars, you've got Tom Blomqvist, never been there before. So that's going to be interesting to watch in the 25 machine. The 24 finished second last weekend or two weeks ago at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. We go to Ford. Well, they won a year ago. That was the 66 crew that was victorious in 2018. You've got the 67 duo of Richard Westbrook and Ryan Briscoe. I don't think they've ever won together as a duo at Lime Rock Park, so that's another one that they're trying to knock off the list. And then, of course, you've got Porsche. Five wins out of six races this year. Nick Tandy and Patrick Pile have never won together at Lime Rock Park. And last year, it was a failed right front tire change uh, when the gun failed for the 912 that cost them a shot at the win. So they're looking for redemption, even though they're the points leaders. So seriously, how do you pick a favourite out of those eight? Mm, you don't. You don't. And the point standings <laughs> yeah. at the uh, 
uh, look at the point standings for drivers in GT Le Mans. Earl and Lawrence, the, uh, along with Nick and Patrick Peele, separated by four points. Uh, Jan Magnussen, Antonio Marci, Mar Antonio Marcia, Antonio Garcia, <laughs> uh, Jan Gagnason and uh, Antonio Marcia. Yeah, uh, they are under the seven further back, and they've got what uh, twelve on Connor De Filippi, who's got two on Dirk Muller, who's got one on Ryan Briscoe, Richard Westbrook, who've got six on John Edwards and Yessi Cron. That tells you but how close it is, but it's hard to make up lots of points because it's such a, s a small field. It is, but here's the important thing that uh, the three car, at least, have to be rubbing their hands over. For Magnuson and Garcia, last year, they went through a span where they just finished on the podium, and the 66 and 67 took turns winning races. There were four races in a row where one of the Fords was victorious. What did that do? It took points off of each other. Well, if we look back at what's happened over the last couple of races, the 912 won at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, the 911 won at Watkins Glen, the 912 won at Mid-Ohio, the 911 won at Sebring. The, okay, the 912 also won Long Beach, but what's happened is those two cars have been taking away the first place points from one another, while sitting there pretty in the background is the number three Corvette just going through and making the deficit smaller and smaller. So it's going to be an interesting thing to see if they can get back on course. They had a bad finish at Mosport two weeks ago where they finished seventh, their worst finish so far of the season. If they can get back into stride where they're just getting podium finishes, not even worrying about getting a win, and let's face it, those guys always worry about a win, but they've got Dan Binks who is calculating the points. That is an interesting situation because two years in a row they could wind up winning the championship by dint of another team taking points off of themselves, and that would be three years in a row for that number three car. There's a big battle in, in the manufacturers uh, at the moment. Um, tire Championship doesn't matter because they're all on Michelin. Teams Championship obviously reflects the the Drivers' Championship, so it's 912 Porsche from 911 from three because that's how it's, it's calculated. But the Manufacturers' Championship, all right, Porsche have got two or five points and are out front by 23 points from BMW, yeah. who've gone into second place with the results from the last round at... Uh, the last round at uh, Canadian Time Motorsport Park, that's pushed Chevrolet down into third place by a point, two points ahead of Ford. Now, Ferrari haven't done all the huh. rounds, so let's put them. So the, the spread is 205 to, to 178 for the four manufacturers. Now, obviously, it depends um, how both your cars do. And as we've said before, it's difficult because even if you finish seventh and eighth, you can't make up big points. But there's a heck of a battle going on there between BMW and Chevrolet for a position that they don't want to be second. They want to be first. Porsche yes. on the crest of a wave at the moment with five races back to back where they've stood on the top step of the podium. I'm going to have to actually sit down and do the math, but it might be that if Porsche wins this weekend, they wrap up the manufacturer's championship. Well, even with Petit, already. with the extra points? There's no extra points for manufacturers. Ah. The only difference would be Ferrari coming in, and that would be potential fifth-place finish as mm -hmm. opposed to a fourth-place finish, which yeah. is only a two-point swing. Um, but the the thing that's really interesting, BMW being in second, they're the only other manufacturer with a win. 
So the, effectively, yes. the next manufacturer to come in and win that's not Porsche would then vault themselves up into that second place. The battle is on for second place in the manufacturer, for sure. Mm. But Porsche would need a lot of misfortune. They would need to finish behind all the other manufacturers in a lot of races to lose that uh, buffer that they've already built in. If we go to the manufacturers in GTD, the other class, and remember, there's no prototypes here this weekend, so it's, it's a GT festival, if you like it, here at Lime Rock Park this weekend. Acura lead the championship by two from Lamborghini, who have got one on Lexus, who have got four on BMW and Ferrari, with Porsche on 133, sitting in sixth position. Now, amazingly, Mercedes-AMG are out of it really sitting on 127 against the top Acura points of, of 152 but those points margins now they are ones that we're going to have to look at and when Jeremy does his arithmetic at the end of the race <laughs> on Saturday we could see some changes there because I'm not sure whose track this is first of all I want to talk about Lexus because they've done a cracking job this year three points away from the championship lead they struggled keeping the rear tyres under the car last year change of tyre manufacturer but they've worked on the chassis as well and they have become real contenders in the first part of the season they really have it's been a, a string of interesting races for lexus for sure when you look at the number 12 car the townsend bell and frankie montecalvo they do well when the sister car doesn't yeah. by and large the exception being belle isle when both cars were on the podium and they're sitting like, in second in the championship in terms of points by the way the yes. drivers it's mario Farnbacher and trent hinman who lead on 151 and there's quite a big gap back it's not the tight gaps in the manufacturers 132 so 19 points back for townsend bell and frankie monte calvo uh, they've got uh, what, nine points on Robbie Foley, Bill Oberlin, Andy Lally, John Potter, Patrick Long, all yep. sitting on 123 points. Which is fascinating, too, because of the first drivers that you mentioned of that third-place trio. Bill Oberlin and Robbie Foley, two mm. DNFs on the air, a win, a second place, and then a meh finish mixed in there. And they're third in points. Normally, if you talk about a team with two DNFs, they're out of it. They're already thinking about 2020. They're not caring about the rest of this year. Well, we come into Lime Rock Park. They just got a win the last time out. Lime Rock is Turner's home track. They're going to be racing in the Michelin Pilot Challenge in GS. So they'll be driving the M4 and the M6 this weekend. It's Robbie's birthday. It's his home track. They are going to be the car that is looking for the biggest win. But I also have to say, July 20th, is a certain 50-year anniversary of man walking on the moon when something revolutionary happened. So we might just see a brand new win in GTD. Um, Mario and Trent have done a great job, no doubt about it. Townsend Bell and Frank Montecalvo, they're forging a partnership which I think looks very strong. I've got to say, I thought Frank drove really well at CTMP, but you can say the same about Robbie Foley, Bill Orbel, and you know what you're going to get obviously he upset a few of the Porsche drivers in the uh, the GT uh, LM <laughs> category but it would be I think we're going to get a really good battle at the front of GT Le Mans but it actually you can never take your heart, your eyes off GTD particularly when a place round here and you know when we're talking about our Porsche case to the race share on Saturday and our Michelin countdown to green and it is a Saturday race for both championships by the way it's a very short weekend Friday and Saturday live in sound and vision of course non-IMSA radio uh, 
we're going to be talking about getting your pit stops right because a, a fumbled pit stop here, you take a pit stop, you get on the wrong side of a yellow, then you've, you've lost a lap, at least one lap yeah. here. If you fumble a pit stop, that's maybe a lap and three quarters, two laps you've lost. Yeah. It's, it's going to be as much about what happens in the pits as what happens on the track. So the, the advantage then goes to the teams that are further down the pit lane in theory, so further up in the championship. You're going to be watching the MSR Acuras, the, the 86 and the 57, which, by the way, we welcome back Christina Nielsen to that car this weekend. She ah. hasn't driven with us since Watkins Glen. No, she was away in, she in Asia, car. wasn't she? she? She got a good finish in Asia. She did. She came home with the trophy from Asia. I think it was a P2 or a P3 finish there. Um, but she hasn't been back in the car since she qualified second at Watkins Glen. So clearly she is feeling pretty good about this weekend, rejoining with Catherine Legg. Uh, so they'll be a car to watch. You've also got the two Lexuses with very good pit boxes. The 96 BMW, which I think was the first of the GTD cars with the um, third place tie pit box. Joining Patrick Long this weekend is going to be Marco Seafried once again, the duo that ran together at Mid-Ohio because Patrick Lindsay has pilot duties, ah. real-world calling, so he won't be able to participate. We've also got a pair of Porsche drivers coming in for the first time in a long time, well, since Daytona. Maddie Campbell will be joining Anthony Imperato in the Wright Motorsport Porsche this weekend. He will be with FAF at Road America and with FAF this weekend is Dennis Olson, who's going to be Another driving young alongside Porsche Zach driver. Mm. Yep. And Dennis will be in the right Porsche at Road America. So figure that one out. <laughs> mm. um, some young charges in there. Uh, all I'll say is Lime Rock Park is not a place to try and make a name for yourself. You need, yep. do you not, to be fairly, if not circumspect but you do have to be sensible and one of the other things we'll be talking about is, yeah. pa is patience it, it's controlled aggression that you need here it's only seven turns i mean you look at it on paper and you think oh how hard could it be it's hard and then you run off big ben the first time in the wet grass first thing in the morning and stuff your tire your car into the tires way off the line and you go oh yeah about that <laughs> mm. um, let's move on to the Mission, uh, uh, IMSA Michelin Pilot Challenge. That will be the Saturday first race of two. We've got two very busy days where we're on the track from 9 o'clock in the morning through till 6 o'clock in the evening, uh, all covered live on over on RS2 IMSA Radio, much of it in sound and vision, including, of course, the Michelin Pilot Challenge race. Whether you're in the States or further afield, uh, we'll have that for you live in sound and vision. No blocks, no brakes. We will have the qualifying for... IMSA WeatherTech, and if you have a, uh, if you're in a territory that doesn't have a TV deal, a network TV deal, obviously you get that in Sound and Vision as well. It is delayed in the states, but that doesn't mean you'll be able to watch it live here. But you can listen live. I think it's nine o'clock or nine thirty Eastern uh, time on uh, Saturday night or maybe Sunday night. I have to check that. Check Saturday local listings. It is Saturday night. Thank you. Check local yep. listings uh, for details. Uh, let's move on to the IMSA Michelin Pilot Challenge, um, which I'm really looking forward to here again for exactly the same reasons as we said. This is a great racetrack for these GT cars. First of all, before we even talk about GS, GS and TCR, what we saw here last year was TCR cars relatively early on in their IMSA life share really getting busy through the GS field. Now, we saw last race at CTMP, the best qualifier in TCR was sixth, would have been sixth in the GS field. And that's not going to be any different here. In fact, I would suggest that in the first... 
first sector, we might see a TCR car have the overall best sector time. Very likely, uh, and especially given the progress that we've seen those cars make over the course of a calendar year. Yeah, you've, you've got to expect that the Brian Herta Autosport Hyundais, they're going to be right up there with the, the GS cars fairly early on. The Hondas, they've had a bit of a resurgence. We still only have the two from Luis Pericarpi's organization, so that's going to be a little bit disappointing, not getting to see the 73 of Mike Lamara and uh, Matt Pombo running again this weekend. But the other two are back, so Max Faulkner and Colin Mullen in one car, and then the other one, of course, for Tom O'Gorman and Shelby Blackstock championship leaders. Mm. You've got the the heart racing Honda coming back this weekend. You've got the Atlanta Speedworks car. How about a word for that 84 crew? I mean, they didn't have the easiest weekend at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, and they were still super impressive. The shorter track is really going to favor those cars, but you can't look past the Audis. Last year, it was a 1-2-3 for Audi. They look so strong right off the get-go. And we've got one, two, three of them, four of them back in the field this weekend out of the 12. So a third of the field already yeah. are going to be the Audi TCR cars. They're going to be having fun. Well, you talked about this in IndyCar, about the slew of races that's coming up. It's a really busy part of the schedule here for the GT cars because we've got two GT-only events. And they are come, they're on this weekend, and then they come up after. Uh, VIR comes up after we've been to Road America when the prototypes are back again. And I just wonder, for the maybe top four, top five crews, which, by the way, are, are separated by, what, 13 points in the driver's standing. I'll come to the manufacturers in, in TCR at the moment. Um, but do the likes of Shelby Blackstock and Tom O'Gorman, who lead. Gavin Ernstone and John Morley, a brilliant second in the driver's standings yeah. at the moment. They will not be, be believing that, and they're only five points off the lead, but they're only one point ahead of Mark Wilkins and Michael Lewis in the Hyundai. Then there's uh, Russell McDonough and Ryan Nash. They're another four points further back. I just wonder if those guys start to think, you know what, we just need to collect points at this part of the season. Yeah, that that's pretty much what they've been doing I mean taking out the championship leaders who had a horrific weekend mm. last time out when they didn't even make the start of the race which was just heartbreaking for them but everybody else that you mentioned there they really do need to be a bit conservative especially the euro parts crews because they're not at a level yet where they're winning races or being up at the front contending for the race wins. They've gotten podiums based on great strategy and clean driving. They haven't necessarily been the feistiest cars out there, but mm. they have been the least marked up cars I, in the end I, I of the think, race, and I, that's important. Yeah, I think their tactics has been perfect, and I think that's yeah. why they are where they are. Uh, Honda leads Acura by six points. Sorry, leads lead Audi by yeah, six points, uh, who have got six on Hyundai. Alfa Romeo a little bit further back. They're 13 further back, but I'm not sure what they expected of the season, but I've been quite impressed, and they've been quick. If they can keep those cars together, um, they have been very quick indeed. But this is an Audi track, uh, as you mentioned, and I, I just wonder if there might be a few more team orders from Audi, if you like, manufacturer mm. orders. Um, let's move to GS. Uh, and in GS, we'll go with the manufacturers first of all, because this is nice and tight. And when I mean nice and tight, I mean that Ford, BMW, McLaren, Mercedes-AMG and Audi, who are from five to one, are separated by eight 
points. In fact, you can add Porsche <laughs> into that, who are only 10 points away. But the gaps between Ford in fifth, uh, they have got six points to BMW in fourth, who uh -huh. are tied with McLaren on points, although McLaren get it on count back with better uh, better results, who are one point behind second place Mercedes-AMG, who are one point behind Audi. Now, <laughs> I mean... In terms of the Drivers' Championship, that's James Clay and Devon Jones who are leading by a point from Jeff Westfall and Tyler McQuarrie, by a point from Corey Fergus and Jesse Lazare. Then it's 13 points back to Bryn Olsen and that man Trent Hinman. Again, going well <laughs> in two championships. I mean, this is ridiculous at this point. Isn't it brilliant? We've had so many different race winners this year, and especially when you consider the last two rounds have both been won by, not derogatory in any way, but underdogs. You had the Rebel Rock Racing Camaro coming away with it last time out. And before They'll that... They'll be good here as well, by the way. They'll be oh, great they here. Be. Yeah, Robin loves the, this the place. Trick, the trick will be, though, John, is it's a very short lap. So you need your weakest driver to stay on the lead lap. And that's going to be a big ask for some of these drivers out there. Uh, it's going to be hard because it is such a short track. 1.478 miles for them because they don't run the chicane around the backside of the track. No. They just go through that turn and, and they do run the, the longer form of Lime Rock Park. Here's the thing though, Cher, and we've seen this before. I, I just wonder if we might see a few of the pro-pro drivers start the race and try and clear off. Because at this point, if you can put a lap on the field, genuinely on pace, that is a big thing around here. And it's this is the, I, I'm going to say, I'm not going to say easiest, I'm going to say this is the least difficult to do that because of the short lap length. Yeah, and the only trouble with that that we've seen play up in the past is if it stays green great you're way ahead of everybody else you have played a blinder and it has worked perfectly according to strategy but when does it stay green at lime rock that that's not the easiest expectation it's a big roll of the dice and if it works great if it doesn't oops are we expecting any changes uh, anything that we've got to look for on the entry list here Shea, for the michelin I pilot challenge well, we've got something that'll make you very happy, John. Not one, not two, but three Aston Martins coming this mm. weekend from Automatic Racing. So you're going to have plenty of uh, rumble, British rumble. So that's one of, the, one of the classic vantages and two of the new cars, is it? One of the AMR vantages and two oh. of the GT4 cars, Ooh. correct. Oh, right. So... Uh, Ari Baylog and Greg Leofuge are back in the 09. That's the white one with the three pink stripes on it that right, ran that's, the last That's the four-liter twin-turbo car. Yeah. Correct. We've got the 99 for Gary Ferreira and Chris Wilson. That's the one that we saw last weekend. Uh, no, this is the one that we saw, where would that have been? At Daytona, I suppose, the other new one. Right, that's another four-liter car, yep. And the old one is listed for Rob Eklund Jr. and a to-be-yet-announced third uh, second driver. I do have my car. license. I just, I'm just saying that right now, and I have experience <laughs> in that car. I, I didn't bring those. Up. I didn't bring those, but I'm sure I could get Aww. someone to pick them up and bring them. But besides which, I've got experience <laughs> in that car as well. That's that's another yep. thing. Um, so that could be that could be. Do you know what? I wouldn't write that car out of here. Rob Eklund Jr. knows how to pedal, and that car with the bigger engine with the 4.7 normally aspirated engine lots of power now it's going to be hot over the weekend and the turbocharged cars might struggle a bit around here 
Yep. And particularly, I'm thinking back a couple of years, Al Carter was driving that car when it was hot. And he was up there fighting for the lead of the race right to the dying lap. Well remembered. That that very much could be a car, particularly if we get somebody like him, and, and we love affable Al Carter. Uh, if we get him in that car, that that could very much wind up being another one of these underdogs coming through to steal away the valuable championship points. Yeah, and and that and at this time of the season, of course, you often get a few odd results because people are thinking championships, and it is so close in the drivers' championship here that every single position is going to make a difference. And and you know the last once the last drivers are in and the last pit stops are done here. I'll be interested to hear what is going on between the pits. I've got a feeling we're going to be sending you to talk to every single one of the leaders just to see what what you're telling your guys. Because, uh, you know, if they're in third and there's a chance of second, how hard do you push to get a couple more points, particularly if it's not one of your rivals? If it's a bit of an outlier, somebody's leading the race who's a little bit of an outlier, do you maybe just leave them to it and say... No, they can have the win. I'm not going to go side by side with these guys. At the minute, I've got second place points in my pocket. And, you know, and it's so tight. I I, I love this part of the season. I love this part of the season because decisions have to be made all the time. And sometimes it's difficult to, to get the drivers to listen to what's going on, isn't it? Yeah, and, and John, I'm, I'm more than happy to run up and down the pit lane for you and Jeremy. You can send me wherever you want because it's such a short one that I can cover the whole thing in about five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Shay, I'll let you get back to what sounds beautiful afternoon uh, up in the uh, lakes area of Canada. Enjoy your rural retreat. And uh, I know you're on site here on Thursday tomorrow, uh, and then we'll hear you on the air from Friday and Saturday. Thanks very much for joining us, Shay. Thanks, John. On to two wheels now, and another disappointing race for Johnny Ray. Uh, only finished second, didn't he, in uh, the second race? Uh, sorry, the third race at Laguna Sekanek. I know, poor old Johnny Ray. Uh, and a win in the race as well. Yeah, he fourth won a race. And it was won by Al. Oh no, it was won by wasn't it? It was uh, Chaz Davis. Chaz Davis, um, who won, who won for um, for them, and. Um, yeah, so Johnny Ray only got a second, uh, sorry, a first in the, in the, in the main feature, race, then he got a first in the for shortened uh, Super Bowl, and then he only got second. So 1-1-2, one, one, oh dear. The only issue is that championship rival and former runaway leader Alvaro Bautista scored absolutely nothing all weekend. Yes, uh, let, let me summarise where World Superbikes is. So two years then. ago, and for a few years before that, uh, Johnny Ray was uh, running away with it. Last yeah. year, uh, they didn't let him win uh, the first four races. Uh, in fact, he had a terrible time the first four races last year, and uh, bounced back and won the title. So this year, they thought we need to stop him from winning for more than four races uh so how many races 14 did races. Uh, 14, 14. Races. right uh and since then in the last 10 races of which johnny ray has won eight uh the gap between him and bautista has gone from being 81 points behind bautista to 61 ahead Wrong way around. Other way 61 around. 61 behind, 81 ahead. Yeah, it is yes. the most remarkable uh, collapse in, in motorsport history. I mean, in fairness to Alvaro, he did fall off again in the first race, but in the second race, the sprint race, the Super Bowl race, he was punted off and injured his shoulder, but he couldn't ride the third race. So actually, can't he can't buy any luck. But 
you know, it's it is remarkable how it's just disappeared. I mean, I, I don't think I, John and I both follow World Series bikes, and I'm sure John, I'm. You, are you sitting there agog as the results come in each week? Because I certainly am. Sunday was such a big day of sport that I realised I was never going to be able to watch it all live. So I watched the cricket live and everything else I put on the hard drive and then caught up with it as we went along. And the last thing that I went to, because I thought it was the the thing that would be least likely to give me the results of anything else, certainly not the (laughs) tennis, probably not Formula One, and certainly not the IndyCar, was the superbikes. And I literally had my head in my hands, much like the the uh, Ducati, the Aruba Ducati team. I could not believe what I was watching. And bear in mind, I was looking at it the way that you probably did, fast forwarding just to the start of the races because I was tra- it was getting on for three o'clock in the morning. I was trying to get through everything, and I I just could not believe what I was seeing. Uh, but, I mean, fantastic race by Chas Davis, by the way. He bossed that, that final race. But I still cannot believe that Alvaro Batista has gone from being 61 points ahead to 81 points down. And I, I, I'm seeing it, but I don't actually believe what I'm seeing. He's had, he's had some... He's made some mistakes, no doubt. But you said last, you said last week when we were talking about it on the show... His head, his head. Where's his head right now? He's got seven weekends now before it comes back. This is the long break, but he's going into that seven-week break a broken man, a broken man in head, in body. I don't know how he comes back from this. If he comes back from this, if he gets anywhere near Johnny Ray, if he makes this a championship, because it isn't at the moment, because Johnny Ray, you might as well hand him the trophy now. He could go on holiday for three weeks and it wouldn't make a damn bit of difference. But if he makes this a championship in any way, shape or form, it is one of the great sporting comebacks ever after one of the great sporting collapses ever, as you've rightly said, Nick. Yep. Um, yeah, but I think, as you say, it's, it's difficult now because he needs to score seconds and Johnny's very good at doing that. Uh What's going to happen uh, in World Superbike? I mean, can Johnny Ray still win this by finishing second all for the rest of the season if Bautista recovers? Yeah, I think there's only five there is, is there there five is rounds one, to go. So that's 15 yeah, races. Th- there is one thing. There's, there's 15 races to go. There's one thing that we, that we have to take into account, which could happen, is that there is a, the final balance of performance to be made at the end of... of the weekend that's just passed. Um, it may well be that uh, there's, there's no doubt that um, Johnny Ray has still got an advantage over the rest of the field, even with Charles Davis's fantastic performance. They may well decide to drop the revs, uh, the RPM limit on on the Kawasaki, and that, that might would be very dodgy. That would be gerrymandering of a result because. Davis won. The only reason Bautista hasn't won a couple of the races, he's fallen off whilst in the lead. So that would be. I know they. I know they're desperate for a you know ABR. Anyone but Ray. But I be they would have some major <laughs> issues about that. I would be straight on phone to uh, Scott Smart to get him onto the program to explain that they did that. Who's the technical? Um, the, the question that the on, the only thing that I would say about that Nick is that Leon Haslam and Top rack, top rack, 
Raz Gatlioglu. See, I've got the same top, problem as you, as so with you, my friend. Top back rather you than me. <laughs> Raz Gatlioglu. Um, top top rack, um, both on Kawasaki's, have both been having good results. Uh, top rack was uh, third and third in the two feature races. Leon was third. Uh, top rack was second. But he was involved uh, in, the last, in the crash with uh, Bautista, we wasn't he? In the middle race, yes, he was. Uh, Haslam and um, Top Rack were both on the podium back at uh, Rimini. Um, so uh, what, you, what you're talking about here is, is what we're looking at here is Kawaki quote-unquote domination as far as the um, results uh, are showing at the moment. And that will... I, 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 it will happen, Nick. I'm saying it's a possibility. I'm flagging this up. It, let me sit, let's, let me put it this way. I wouldn't be surprised if the Kawasaki got a rev drop for the rest of the season. That, well, I don't think there's any reason that to at all. He wasn't, he wasn't the only Turk who had a good weekend, was he? Briefly, moving, then, briefly yes. moving back to four wheels here. I'm talking about. Uh, I'm talking about uh, Hanson Guven, who uh, was fastest <laughs> in practice in the Porsche Mobile One Super Cup, took pole position, and then won the race, leading every lap of it. Yeah, because we all we all had time to watch that. Well, I did. <laughs> uh, I, to be fair, I did not watch the practice sessions or even the qualifying for the uh, Porsche Super Cup. Uh, back to two wheels then. And, uh, Cal Crutchlow mm. uh, thinks that the mm -hmm. MotoGP uh, championship ended at Mugello. Mm, I think which it, I ended, think was it in ended May. Uh, I think it ended before that. Really? I don't think that, I think, yeah, when when it was obvious that Lorenzo was wasn't getting on with the bike, um, and it was obvious that the uh, Yamaha wasn't that quick, and the day one person was going to win, he's only made it interesting by falling off in Texas, and then it stopped being interesting already because he's great. He only has a fifty-eight point lead though, and he's the best rider on the best bike with no one any good. No, with it's it's like it's a bit. You know, it's it's like saying, you know, well, well, Mo Farah is only a minute ahead of the field. Yeah. Only one race per weekend as well. If if Bautista had had a 61-point lead that early in the championship and there was only one race per weekend, not three, then the championship would have been done there as well. He could have fallen off as many times as he wants. I mean, again, you're in a situation where Marquez can take two full weekends off and... Um, and have his closest rival win both of those races and still be at the head of the championship. Uh, so, Mark Marquez, MotoGP champion, uh, say both of you, uh, and Johnny Ray, World Superbike Championship, yes? Yeah. I'm not too sure about that. Yeah. I, I think... I think so. I think Johnny Ray, World Superbike champion, and uh, you won't get a look in... Uh, but sports personality of the year as well. Of course not. Uh, any more bikes? Not this week. Um, just a quick note. Just a quick note about the continuing hard work that's going on up at Oliver's Mount. Uh, very quietly, but it's going on there. There's been some track work.
done over the last few weeks in the fan weather that the UK has been enjoying. And their big event, the Barry Sheen Memorial event, is coming up shortly. And if you're anywhere near um, the North Yorkshire circuit and you're even slightly interested in motorcycling, then you really should try and get up there because uh, this is a fantastic comeback for one of the most amazing places that uh, has ever hosted a motorcycle event. Um, Good luck uh, to them for that. And I'm very impressed at the safety work and the improvement work that's been going on there. Um, also houses the broadcasting transmitter, which provides TV and radio Barbara in the surrounding area, by the way, Oliver's mouth. <laughs> Thank you for that. There. Excellent news. <laughs> Top trivia. It's called Oliver's Mount, Nick. Nick, do you know why it's called Oliver's Mount? This is a serious question, because I like to enter- entertain and inform here on Midweight Motorsport. Do you know why it's called it's Oliver's Mount? Cromwell? It is Oliver Cromwell, because of the Civil War. Um, the name, the hill was originally known as Weaponous, um, but it it is, it, there's no real evidence that he was there, but there was some thought that he'd sighted some of his guns there during the, uh, the um, British Civil War. So there you go. Well, I think we've all learned something there, uh, but that is all we've got time for. <laughs> Uh, except to remind everybody that we have Friday and Saturday live coverage from here at Lime Rock Park for the Northeast Grand Prix, Michelin Pilot Challenge and the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. But of course, only the GT classes for IMSA WSC. Uh, both races run Saturday, but we've got practice qualifying uh, on Friday, including, of course, live coverage in sound and vision of the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship qualifying. The pilot challenge is fully globally available. No blocks, no brakes on Saturday. And if you're in a territory that doesn't have a TV deal on Saturday, you'll also be able to see the the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Uh, that is uh, US time, of course. So try and fit that in around our coverage from Barcelona. And this is going to be tricky. So check the website for details because uh, Johnny Palmer leads the coverage of the Michelin um, is it called the Michelin Cup now, Tim? The Michelin it's not called Le Mans the Michelin Road to Le, Le Mans Cup. Yes, I, I knew it wasn't Road to Le Mans. Michelin Le Mans Cup and the four-hour ELMS European Le Mans race, but that is in the darkness. That goes. Uh, that starts quite late, so that gives a chance. A very busy day on Saturday. Plenty of live coverage of that. That will be on RS1, Tim, or RS3? Both. Oh, good. And RS2, of course, for IMSA. And we'll be back same time next week. Well, not this same time, 8 o'clock UK, uh, for another edition of Midweek Motorsport. But there's no time to explain. The Llama has got a split personality this weekend. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.